Welcome to the Agree to Disagree show, a show that discusses news, politics, and pop culture with your host, Luigi C. I want to see how many people I can agree to disagree with. We will try to solve life's great mysteries. Why is the sky blue? Why do we lean left or right? Why are we all nuts? Let's start the show. Oh yeah, baby. I'm all riled up tonight. Welcome to episode 67 of the Agree to Disagree show where we discuss current events, pop culture, and social issues. I'm your host, Luigi C. If you appreciate the show, guys, and you want to support, all you need to do is like, share, subscribe. I say it every show, the YouTube channel, the Facebook page, or the IG, or the podcast on any of the platforms, including Spotify and Apple. And even more so, leave a review on the Apple Podcast or Spotify app, please. I would greatly appreciate it. So, guys, without further ado tonight, um, I decided, we decided with the upcoming uh, Quebec uh, provincial elections uh, coming up soon in November, I believe, or is it October? I don't even know. Uh, We decided we would do some dirty work for you all so that you don't have to, right? So we're doing this for all Quebecers out there tonight. So... Tonight, I'm going to be joined by my uh, political analyst, Nicholas Piditakis. It's a it's a Greek it's a Greek uh, combo tonight. There's Nick. What's up, y'all? How's it going, Nick? And pretty good, pretty good. Excellent. And the co-host of Just As Dad's podcast, host of the Backstage podcast, and former political advisor George Tanzdridos. I think I I, I destroyed it. Sandidos. I think you know what all the Greek guys that I've been met, meeting lately. In the, you would think I, I I would I would pronounce them better. George, can you, can you do something about the last name or what? Not massacre, yes. not massacre, massacre. I, <laughs> but you, but you guys know I love you both, right? How's it going, guys? How's everyone doing? Good. Not too bad, buddy. George. It's good to be here, man. It's good. That, it's good to see your show up and running again. Honestly, yes. I'm, I gotta say, I'm I'm very happy. Thank you, guys. I had a long, like I said, a long break this uh, this summer. I uh, for good for good reasons. Mm-hmm. I uh, looked after my boys and their uh, <laughs> baseball careers. For sure, it was a nice it was a nice uh, summer, but uh, time to get back to serious business because people need us. People, yeah. people need us. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. sure now, guys. Absolutely. Fucking world is this is on fire? Is it just? Yeah. And, and also, every time I talk to Nick or George, it seems like the house, like the world is on fire. I don't, Maybe mm-hmm. it's just me. I don't know. Oh, uh, hey, Ange. Ange, hey, just Ange, hello to everyone. Yes, Ange, uh, my good friend Ange from Ange Collects and the Ange TV show on YouTube. Um, so, guys, as as I mentioned, I think that uh, we needed to do this show to discuss what's going on right now with the upcoming elections in Quebec. Yeah. Uh, maybe uh, perhaps uh, help our viewers and uh, fellow Quebecers maybe to make their decisions and to discuss uh, the, the 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 landscape of Quebec politics and how how it's changed since uh, since a while now. A yeah. lot of interesting things yeah. happened when we were preparing for uh, for the show. A lot of good things came up, and a lot of topics that I think we're going to cover tonight. So, um, what what I wanted to start off with right now is basically the polls. What the recent polls that we're looking at right now. Okay, mm-hmm. what 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 are they telling us, and what are they not telling us? So. As you know, for now, I mean, I think I think 
Francois Legault and, and the CAC is, is a lock, but who knows? You never know. Mm-hmm. And then for second place lately, I don't know what's been going on. It's flip-flopping all over the place. Uh, it's it's pretty interesting, to be honest with you, and um, wanted to get your insight on that, guys. Well, it's not really it's not really flip-flopping. I mean, everyone knew going into this election uh, that, you know, uh, Premier Legault... Uh, was was scoring was scoring pretty high and um everyone pretty much knew that it was going to remain pretty much steady throughout and i'd be surprised if anything really you know tragic happens to the point where he drops so much where he would either lose the uh, the possibility of getting another majority um we've seen him drop a couple of points but i don't think it's going to affect him much the interesting thing about the uh, about the polls this time around and of course for everyone listening or, or watching you know, Paul's, uh, Paul's, Paul's, you know, it's just, a you know, an image at a certain given time during the campaign. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, I, I never, I never really uh, enjoyed polls, but I mean, it gives you an idea of where things are uh, at a given time. Uh, and the, the thing that we've noticed is that, um, and this is the first time I see this, is that up there? Can anyone, can everyone see this, or it's just us? Yes, everyone can okay, see. There it. We go. So it's it's the polls for the second place for for the party that is eventually going to make the opposition. Now this is I don't know this is Main Street or I'm not sure which one you have. I've been following the Leger poll, um, mm-hmm. and they have everyone pretty much tied at second place. All the other parties except for um, okay, this is for second choice. Yes. Um, yeah, you know I mean. This is really ahead. I mean, uh, the, for the for the PCQ there, but given the the margin of error, pretty much everyone is tied up. Uh, it's it's pretty much a four way race. Um, no, sorry, that's the PQ there coming in uh, for, for a second. But pretty yeah. much, you know, it's a four way race for 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 opposition, and that has shifted significantly during the course of this campaign, right? So there's only about two weeks left until October third, um, and it's been really fascinating to see. Uh, especially how the PQ has done well uh, uh, following the first debate there on uh, on LCN, uh, Paul Saint Pierre Palamondon really really um, uh, stood out, and it's been reflected in the numbers. Uh, I mean, the, the the results from that first debate came out I think on Tuesday, uh, and uh, pretty much I mean everyone knew that Gabriel Nadeau Zumer from Quebec Solidaire had done well. I felt that also, and I had even tweeted mm-hmm. about. I didn't feel though. I didn't feel that about um, Paul Saint Pierre Plamondon. Apparently, uh, it was maybe it was just me. I don't know. Um, evidently, though, um, he 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 did well in the sh- and the polls. The uh, the follow the following polls that that were conducted during this week reflected that as well, to the point where it's anyone's game now for opposition, and that is that's quite spectacular. Um, I, 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 I've never seen anything like this. And of course, mind you, I mean, when I started politics, it was pretty much uh, a three party parliament, right? I mean, the ADQ mm-hmm. had just come in in 2007, nearly yeah. making government, right? I mean, so it was a minority yeah. government in 2007. Uh, and we went straight into another election in 2008. And it was just ping pong between liberals, PQ and ADQ. And the ADQ thing didn't really last long, right? After the 2008 election, they pretty got, they got decimated to the point where, you know, uh, Mario Dumont stepped down, and they didn't really know what to do. And um, Francois Legault uh, resigned from the PQ, uh, and he, that's how the CAC was formed, right? For anyone that, that's following, I mean, he took whoever was left over from the ADQ, got some guys that left from the PQ. Uh, and he created the CAC. And since then, I mean, it was still a three-party thing. And then the Quebec Solidaire kind of started growing. 
and eventually we're going to get into it. But what's interesting to me is to see the evolution of Quebec Solidaire, especially in Montreal. I mean, I know they made yeah. some gains in the regions in the last election, like in the Quebec City with Tachereau and Jean Lesage. They also got Rouen Noranda and Abitibi-Tamiskamingue and Sherbrooke as well. So they got they picked up a couple seats in the regions. But primarily, I always felt that Quebec Solidaire, uh, because of that populist approach that they bring mm-hmm. in politics, was a lot more popular in the city of Montreal. And I have a feeling, and I, I mean, who knows what's going to happen from now until the, the October 3rd, but it wouldn't surprise me if they lost those seats in the, in the regions and maybe picked up a few in Montreal. So maybe they would stay level uh, in terms of numbers, the total numbers, but I, I'm not so sure if they're going to keep the representation they have now in the regions, but they may make some gains in Montreal. So it's, it's, it's interesting. The, 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 the polls this time around are really fascinating. So, of course, there's a debate now as we speak. Uh, there, there, there's a debate actually happening on, uh, on RDI. It's the last debate. Um, so who knows how this debate is going to go? And I know on Sunday there's that very popular uh, French show, uh, Tout le monde en parle, mm-hmm. where all the leaders are going to be yeah. there as well. So there's still a few more occasions for uh, uh, for Quebecers to see the leaders and to, 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 to get to meet them or to hear them uh, and to see if anything is going to shift. Um, who knows? I mean, it all maybe it depends on everything happening now. I I, I have a feeling that Legault is going to be a little bit more careful this time around than he was in the previous debate. I mean, that that's his biggest weakness. It, yeah. it, it's himself, right? He opens his mouth, stuff comes out, and he has to <laughs> yeah. days after correcting himself. Um, so who knows how he's going to perform? I'm curious to see the debate afterwards. Uh, so yeah, for me, when we're talking about polls specifically, the first place. I mean, we knew this going in. Uh, I mean, the popularity of the CAC and especially Francois Legault and in the regions, especially, I mean, he's he's unmatched over there. And uh, it's second place. This is fascinating to me that all four other parties are beating themselves up for second place, essentially. It, it's Nick, before before yeah. you chime in here, I just wanted, yeah. to, I wanted to confirm it is a Léger poll, okay, uh, for Le Journal de Montréal and TVA. And just before, you, again, you chime in, I'm, I'm completely flabbergasted by it. The PQ at twenty two percent, but this is this is it, but this is for second choice. If you didn't yeah. have to vote for the CAC, who would be your second choice? It's PQ, and that's where they're coming in. But the other poll that I was talking about is in the actual voter intentions. You have, I think, CAC, which is close to 40, uh, 38 or thirty nine percent, and then everyone yeah. else pretty much tied at sixteen, which is which is incredible. Yeah, it, yeah. it, it really is. It really is. Um, best opposition. What is this here? Yeah, so this is the, the party that they believe is best fit to be in opposition, and you have Quebec Solidaire coming in first. So this is what yeah. I'm talking about. Um, uh, you know, this is one thing that scares the liberals, um, and you know, eventually, I, I think we're going to talk about that later on about how they they've plunged down yes. to almost non-existence. Um, losing opposition is going to be a big hit for the liberals. Um, in fact, losing anything. Uh, other than what they have now, which is very likely that they're going to lose much more seats than what they have now. So I think when it comes to the liberals, they're expecting the biggest possible defeat ever in their history. Uh, at this point now, it's saving the, 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 themselves from embarrassment and not losing the official opposition status. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll cover that. Uh, Nick, how do you see these polls? Do you do you I know we, we talked about it off air in terms of we've got to be leery and very careful in terms of polls, right? Yeah. If there's if there's one thing that I have learned from 2016 with like the election of Donald Trump in uh, November of 2016 and the Brexit uh, vote is that you can't take anything for granted and often polls can I wouldn't say be misleading but you can't put all of your eggs in that one basket 
Um, and to sort of get at why Quebec Solidaire is rising in the polls and to sort of speak to how they're ascendant in Montreal. First, I'm, I live in the in the riding of Acadie, one of the few liberal strongholds, and George certainly would know this. Um, right next to Acadie is one of the one of the ridings called Maurice Richard. It used to be called, I don't remember what it was called Cremazie. before. Cremazie. yeah. Now they renamed it to Maurice Richard out, out of honor and respect to uh, to the Rocket himself because he lived in that area when he was uh, when he was playing hockey for the Canadians. That riding may end up falling to Quebec Solidaire or to the CAC. Like it's, it's a four-way bloodbath in that riding. Um, and to sort of say this about how Quebec Solidaire, like they used to just have like maybe a couple of ridings in the core of downtown Montreal, but they've sort of crept up a little bit up what could be considered like Papineau and Sailor on Boulevard, like that, like that back, like that backbone in that part of Montreal. So to speak to that, and another thing that I've noticed and what is being seen is that um, Quebec Solidaire, they're left of center, if not progressive vote, though separatist in their inclination on that, they are the choice party for folks between the ages of 18 to 34. Mm -hmm. I've seen multiple polls on this. I've seen friends of mine uh, share uh, images of polls where uh, Quebec Solidaire is the the party of choice for many young folks. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they're banking on their growing support amongst the youth and to Gabriel Nadeau Dubois' credit, because he is somewhat young uh, himself, and he is still the hero of the 2012 uh, student protests over the tuition uh, hikes. They're tapping into that, and there's a lot of youth and millennial and Gen X or no Gen Z uh, discontent over uh, what a lot of young Quebecers. I myself don't feel uh, that way. I will say this openly: like I just became a member of the provincial conservatives because Eric Duhame, I think is a far more convincing uh, individual and to his credit as well. And I would recommend everyone watch this. Uh, Eric Duhame, like uh, Pierre Polyev uh, at the federal conservative level, Eric Duhame appeared on Dr. Jordan Peterson's podcast as well, which is pretty good, which is a pretty darn cool thing. And I've watched most of it, but not all of it. But Quebec Solidaire, I think is just tapping into a lot of like millennial and Gen Z anxiety over the fact, you know, like jobs, uh jobs uh stress anxiety mental health like quebec solidaire is tapping into that and i could see that they're slowly leaning into that even more because right now they're talking a lot about uh public transportation they recently made an announcement saying uh that they want to expand uh like the bus and uh train networks here uh in quebec so that more people can use uh like the bus and the train in quebec versus using cars or public trans or other forms of transportation like airplanes but mm-hmm. if they're going to be talking about trains and they're separatists well they're going to need to negotiate with the federal government uh on the issue of trains since we all know that rail uh, transport is regulated federally with cn well, so uh, yeah and, and listen, uh, look it's really not clear right it would, and uh, i don't yeah. know if I'm get into the platforms but i mean quebec solidaire has a very complex platform uh albeit and this came out in the news, it's also the only platform that has been costed perfectly. So far from all the platforms, from all the party platforms, mm-hmm. they're the ones that took the best care at making sure that it's costed really mm-hmm. well. And it's the only one that they, no one found any errors in it, like at least economically or mathematically. Um, mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. 
you know, they came out and said that they want to have their own transport network. Do they want to build their own or use the, the existing network as well? I don't know. It's not clear. Um, mm-hmm. That personally, and I, I, I could never find myself to agree with anything that Quebec solely there um, uh, recommends or suggests. I mean, the fact that they want to create um, to, to, to make all these things public, right, to create new public institutions about, you know, um, Quebec Rail or Quebec, you know, the Quebec mm-hmm. uh, uh, Transport Network, uh, a Quebec uh, Dental uh, Network, like everything has to be like, and there was an interesting article that came in uh, out today in La Presse, linking them to all these radical ideas about just, you know, uh, eliminating the private sector and making everything public, which for me is is just Ooh. dangerous. Yeah, no, 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 um, no, no, no. Uh-huh. But, but to go back to what you're saying, it is true that they've always appealed to the younger crowd. I mean, there's something sexy about populism in politics, right? Yeah. Um, Justin Trudeau has it. Uh, Gabriel Nadeau has it. Uh, the problem, however, that, and the challenge that they've always had is to actually make sure that that demographic comes out to vote. Because when you look at the statistics, it is the demographic that has the least voter particip- participation from yeah. one to the other. The, maybe not like above 30, but 18 to 25, 30 is always challenging to bring them out to vote. So, yes, yeah. they get a lot of support in that demographic, but will it will it turn up in, in numbers? I, I, I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been to a yeah. lot of panelists comparing um, this election to uh, – to the recent election that happened in Ontario, and for those who didn't follow that, uh, Premier Ford got reelected with another majority, yeah. um, but he only got, what, a little over 40% participation. Now, I don't think that we're going to fall that low, but judging by the numbers that we've been seeing consistently over the last couple of elections, it's on... You know, it's dropping from one election to the other. I think we're probably going to be close to 50%. It wouldn't shock me if we're less than that, but somewhere between 46 and 50 is where I see it, which Mm -hmm. is embarrassingly low. Like, I remember elections in the 70s, you know, in the high 70s, 80s even. Mm -hmm. So... I don't so, know what is I don't know what is happening. I don't know if there's like you said, I don't know if there's like this general disinterest or disengagement in politics. Uh, I don't know exactly what it is, but uh, you know, looking at numbers like these, to me, it's worrying, right? I mean, uh, it, it, it yeah. is worrying. It just I, I find it so interesting that the actual generation, like you were saying, that the ones that would, for example, vote for Quebec Solidaire and Gabriel Nadeau de Bois or maybe uh, that that younger crowd. That they'd be the first ones to basically say that politicians don't do enough for us and and things need to change, but then yet they're not going to do such a simple act as actually going out there. Luigi, yeah. they're, the, they're the generation that will be uh, the most impacted exactly in the, in the coming yeah. years by everything that we're yeah. talking about now, yeah. right? And the fact that they're yeah. absent, and it's not only Quebec still there. We don't know. I mean, I, I I I was with the Liberals for many many years, and we always thought we had a huge base in that demographic as well. Um, they just don't show up, right? So um, it, it's it's a reality that we've. It, it's not new. Uh, no. We've been facing this reality at least as long as I've been involved since two thousand and seven. It's always been a challenge, and to think that there's no youth involved in the parties is wrong to say because every party have all the parties, and I'm talking about you know objectively here across partisan lines. Yeah, they all have major youth wings, <laughs> major. I so know. Uh, to see that. I don't know why do they not mobilize, and I don't know. I mean, maybe Nick, you're 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 younger. I don't know. 
I remember in, uh, you know, in university, there were student associations representing parties. I remember the, the Concordia Liberal uh, Association or Conservative. I don't know if they still exist, but I do remember back in the day, political parties having this important base coming from the student world. Uh, and I'm just I, I don't know if they're still there or if they are there, how active they are or you know how numerous they are. I don't know. Yeah. But it's, it's a big issue. Mm, yeah. Nick, well, but I, if like, I could. Yeah, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, no, I was just well, going to say I was just going to say, I mean, I, I want definitely uh, like George uh, um, said for you to to give your because this is this is a phenomenon. The, the, the poor uh, voter turnout is having a direct impact of who we're putting into into parliament across the, across the country. So yeah, we're, we're at a and, uh, sorry to interrupt, Nick, uh, you know, we're at a crossroads where the generation that traditionally votes is getting older. So we have mm -hmm. an aging population. So you have the, 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 the that, that that group that always participated and was always active is getting older and maybe they can't vote or they can't they're not as mobile as they used to be, or they just you know don't care like they used to. And you have the up-and-coming generation that just doesn't care flat out. So we're we're kind of at that crossroads, I feel. Well, to, to sort of get into like since I am, I would say your typical 33-year-old millennial here. I think there's a lot of, I would say, generational angst. Uh, that's mm -hmm. certainly uh, there in terms of like housing affordability. Uh, the fact that millennials typically like were not as lucky in terms of getting like the higher paying jobs, or like how some many there are some millennials out there. Though I've kind of not adopted this, though I felt it on occasion. Where you know, back in the day, though you can certainly correct me if I'm wrong, like applying for. Uh, decent paying jobs wasn't as difficult while now for us it's like we have so many more expectations with like education but the way that you try to apply for jobs the cost you know, of living has also gone up yeah so oh, yeah. yeah yeah like the cost of living has gone up uh and also another thing that i sort of look at a lot and i think george would certainly understand this uh from a policy perspective like paying into programs like the canada pension plan or quebec mm -hmm. pension plan and like how someone like me who's been paying into that effectively since 2006 when i first started working my first job at puma canada just a warehouse job for the summer like a lot of us are like why are we why should we give a damn for all of these programs that we're not going to get any benefit out of because once when all of the greatest generation folks the baby boomers and the other older generations go through those programs well what's going to happen there's going to be nothing left for us uh at the end and you want us to replenish those programs but you're not uh, and this is where, again, this angst comes in from my generation. It's like, why don't you actually pay us? Why don't you give us the opportunities? Or why don't you lessen the difficulty of getting jobs? Like, again, before, you just hand your CV, that's it, that's all. But then when you apply, you, you upload your CV, then they ask you so many different questions, and the screening process is often automated. So, like, HR, like, they're, it's just, it, it's very, it's just very complex and very, like, multidimensional in terms of how many millennials feel. And, again, for some of us, we have, I would say, changing priorities on different things like climate change, for example. Uh, again, for, for me, more and more like taxes and other like there's just so many. I guess it's just generational uh, differences in how we view how things have to be. Yeah. Well, but see, all the more reason to go to the polls, right? Oh, Why can't I, I go. I go. No, I know. You're, you're, I, you're, I base you're, my, you're, my, you're my Guys, I don't, I don't know. This is this is something for me that is very interesting because, you know, I started politics at a time where this 
disinterest or disengagement kind of began. And we're getting to a point now where maybe things are going to turn when you're seeing the rise in Quebec Solidaire, this rise in popularity, this rise in numbers, the fact that they're, they can smell the opposition, right? I mean, don't forget that these guys it started in parliament in 2008 only right with one person i mean yeah. here and every election mm. following that they always added one or two and they they've been multiplying um so that for me is very interesting to see uh and, and i don't know maybe they will bring that wave of um uh, more youthful voters out i, I don't know uh, i'm just curious to know what the participation rate is going to be this time around something inside me tells me that we're probably going to be a, below 50 which For, for me, if I could just add one other little point, like for me personally, I wish I could volunteer. Because uh, again, I just signed up to become a member of the, the, the provincial conservatives. I've had at least two of my friends, uh, one of them who's somewhat active in the provincial, cons uh, provincial conservatives, say, hey, if you want to volunteer, volunteer. I don't have the time as someone who works 40 to 45 uh, hours a week. So like for me, I have that. I have new responsibilities at my job. I wish I had the time to volunteer because I actually volunteered in, in different elections, like yeah. in 2017 for the municipal elections with Ensemble Montréal, or no, Equipe Danicodaire. I tried once. Uh, I did one little thing for Ensemble Montréal in Ahansa Carcheville with Adrien Parizot, and I'm still shocked at the fact that Adrien Parizot got voted out. Like, yeah. George would probably feel that sense of shock. I mean, he's the, gra he's the grandson of... Uh, of uh, the, the former premier of Harizo, mm -hmm. I wish I had the time. And certainly when I'm in a position where I am far more comfortable and I have made it, I will make it a point to volunteer a whole lot more to make it my full-time thing. It's just, I don't have the time. I live by myself, so I have to take care of all of the things at home, like the, cl the cleaning, the cooking, and all of the other things. Yeah, but that, so but that's like, all, yeah. I have the time. But that's always been a challenge. I feel like, uh, you know, getting volunteers has always been a challenge. The trick... For at least for us, was always in the numbers, because there's no way yeah. that you can rely on a volunteer to be on a full time yeah. basis yeah. in yeah. your election campaign. Off, it, 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 it's just impossible, right? So for us, we just relied yeah. on. We're like, okay, forget about one or two. Let's get go get 50 or 60 of them, right? And just make a schedule and get whatever time they can offer. This time around, though, and especially for the Liberal Party, it's been one destructive passage down to yeah. hell. It, yeah. I've never experienced this ever before. And I've spoken to people that have been organizing campaigns since the 80s. And even them, you know, th they're telling me this is the first time we're seeing this. This is major for the Liberal Party. Uh, and, and, you know, and maybe I'm biased here, but the Liberal Party of Quebec has always had this reputation of this huge electoral machine that was just unstoppable, right? They 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 always relied on this force that they mm -hmm. always that that they had, and it just seems that it's just non-existent. And we saw that from the get-go. I mean, mm -hmm. the fact that they struggled to even find 125 candidates to fill yeah. up their slate, yeah, it was yeah. it, it was mind-boggling, right? It, like a yeah. week into the campaign, you didn't have 125, and it's not like the elections happened by surprise, like it used to in the day. Now it's fixed-date elections. You knew that in October of 2022, there's going to be elections. So the fact that you didn't have your full team prepared is one thing. Uh, yeah. The, the other thing is in the middle, like the first couple of days or that first week, you had candidates actually resigning. And, and it was just one big mess. 
yeah. you know, I'm hearing people telling me that the, the headquarters of the party is closed at 8 p.m. Closed. Like when when has that ever happened before? Okay, so, so since we're there, George, because uh, you know we're, we're seeing now the, the the traditional parties suffering. Yeah. Um, and when I say traditional, I'm talking about the liberals and the PQs. Let's say. Yeah. What is what has led? What, what bring us backstage? Help us understand where where did this come from? It's like it well, just came yeah, out the, of the, the PQ. The PQ will wait and see what happens. It seems as they got a little bit of wind in their sails now. Okay, so a happens. little, yeah, very little. I don't know if it's going to do anything, but uh, uh, I don't think so. But do you, do the you, fact, yeah, the fact that at the very beginning of the campaign they were projected to get maybe one seat in Matan Matapezia, where Pascal yeah. gets elected, and he's very popular, and I still don't understand why he's not the leader of the party. But in any case, um, to know that going into the campaign they were projecting only one seat, and now they're, you know, close. You know, they're they're fighting for the opposition. It's 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 telling something right i mean it's and we'll wait to see what happens in the end but the fact that these two parties the liberals and the pq have kind of been on this drop ever since i'd say maybe 2013 14 mm -hmm. around there 2012 uh, even though the liberals were in power in 2014 we felt it on the ground that there was this yeah. disconnect from the members um, and i don't know if it had to do with premier couillard at that time i don't know if it was like different type of leadership compared to Charest that they were used to mm -hmm. before that. I don't know what it was, but there was this, we felt it, there was this disconnect from the base. And I, I'm almost certain that, you know, that has just had this multiplying factor to today where I can assure you that there are a lot more people waiting on the sidelines for October 4th to go in and kind of help restructure than there are people helping out. And it's a big problem. Uh, I, I feel that You know, this whole reputation and this whole thing about being, you know, the, the, the traditional parties in the National Assembly, you know, it comes also with its weight, right? I mean, people get yeah. tired. People, they, they, you know, uh, and, and yeah. it's circular, right? I mean, it comes and goes and people are like, okay, out with the old, in with the new. Legault came in with a coalition that has never been seen before in Quebec. The guy came in with people from the ADQ where in, in, in a party where there were federalists, some PQ guys as well, but... Legault comes in and gets the ADQ, picks up some guys from the PQ. Uh, and ever since he made government or even before when he was in, um, uh, he was the official opposition, he had picked up some conservative, some federal conservatives as well to come and help him out. So when we're talking about a coalition, this guy really made a big coalition. Now, what that coalition will be in the end, I don't know, because there's a lot of hardcore separatists in there. So I, I'm curious to know, like, I'd love to be a fly on the wall during their caucus meetings, because to have a guy like Bernard Brainville that is mm. probably going to get elected, yeah. uh, Caroline Saint-Hilaire, that is probably going to get elected in Sherbrooke, but that's a close race. We can talk about that. Assuming that those two people are going to go in, how is the how is the atmosphere going to be with people like, for example, Eric Kerr and uh, Christopher Skeet and Bonardel, who are federalists, and um, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see. So I think that all you know this the, the sentiment has been accumulating uh, cum uh, over the years, and um, I won't lie to you, man. I I feel like the leadership the level of leadership has dropped significantly. And this is not to say anything bad about Dominique Anglade. I know her personally. She's a fantastic woman. She's super brilliant, mm -hmm. really intelligent. She knows her shit very well. It, she's not new in politics, right? She got elected in 2015. She went straight to, 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 uh, to, to becoming a, a cabinet minister. Um, she was vice premier. 
deputy premier. I mean, so she knows her stuff very well. She's super smart. It's just it doesn't stick. I mean, they haven't been able to catch a break this whole campaign. Forget about the campaign, actually, even before, ever since she's been a leader. Yeah, it doesn't want to stick. And the PQ, it's just no longer there. People are no longer there when you're primary reason for existing is to promote the sovereignty of Quebec and the population is just no longer there you're I think I think George to get to that point I think what is going on in Quebec and you can certainly confirm it or not I I honestly think that there's a, a, a realignment of the political spectrum in Quebec from the traditional uh, sovereignty or separatist and federalist forces to something more along the lines of just like more autonomy for Quebec or less autonomy yeah. uh, for Quebec. It, like it, the, like it the, has shifted. Yeah, it has shifted from federalist separatist to right and left. Where are yeah. you? Effectively, yeah. effectively. So, yeah. and, and we that, saw that. And we saw that last week. I don't know if you remember. Uh, Gabriel Nadeau Dubois came out and said, "Look, this is a two-way race." I don't know if you guys saw that. And everyone is like, whoa, calm down, buddy. This is, first of all, insulting embarrass, uh, like insulting to the other parties. It's completely anti-democratic. There's five main parties running. Where are you coming out saying this is a two-way race? And everyone mm -hmm. kind of got agitated. And Legault came out and played into that. And he's like, you know, he didn't say it's a two-way race. He said, well, you know, Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois, I do agree with him. Basically, you know, it's, it's, it's a race between right wing and left wing. And pick where you are. You know what I mean? So he drew a line on the sand and said, right now you are a leftist and you're going with Quebec Solidaire um, or you're, uh, you're, you're, you're more center right. And so they're, they're, they're designing, like you said, Nick, this mm -hmm. context where it's no longer federal or separatist. It's ideology based. Are yeah. you right wing? Are you left wing? Mm hmm. No, no. Yeah, and he's occupying the whole center basically. So he's painting Eric Duhem all the way to the extreme right. He's painting Quebec Solidaire all the way to the extreme left. And in the middle, it's non existent. You have the liberals in the PQ that just are not even there. Nobody's even looking. Nobody's even paying attention. I think if I could just make one more point just for the mm -hmm. sake of providing an historical uh, parallel here or to bring history, I honestly think that the PQ or potentially the Liberals, though with the Liberals, I, I think the one person who could potentially revive or bring some new life into the party, and George can potentially agree, maybe Marois uh, Rigsby from from the Sailor All riding, maybe. Like I met her once at a... At, a, at the Liberal Party uh, nominating convention for the federal liberals when Emanuela Lambropoulos uh, came mm -hmm. in in 2017. Marwa seems like a nice person, and I do appreciate the fact that she focused a lot on like corporate and just general tax evasion, because I knew that she made that one yeah, of her central yeah, yeah, things. Yeah, that's her specialty, yeah. Yeah, so like, I, I, I appreciate that. She may have something to do. She may have something that Dominique Anglade may not have, but I honestly more, think, again, in terms of more. like traditional parties, I honestly think the Parti Québécois and the Liberal Party are going to go in the way of Maurice Duplessis' Union Nationale. It may come to that point. Yeah, I'm not it ready may. yet. Yeah, I'm not ready yet to say Maybe. that they're disappearing. Uh, they're going to disappear from the electoral map at all, but it all depends, right? And I think it's what we said in the beginning. It comes down to leadership and to how uh, you can motivate your base again. I think... Yeah. This is my personal opinion, and I've been sharing this thought with a lot of older colleagues, and they seem to kind of be on the same page. 
Jean Charest, when I came in in 2007, uh, you know, the liberals obviously had Jean Charest. He was the premier of Quebec. And I'm not here saying that he was the best premier. Obviously, he wasn't perfect. For me, I came in politics under his kind of leadership. And for me, he's the standard. For me, he, he, I've seen things with Jean Charest that I cannot find any other politician to even match it, right? And I mean, time has gone by. He's not the same guy. We saw what happened, unfortunately, in the federal leadership race for the conservative. Yeah. He's not there. He's not <laughs> that, there. Was there. that was a massacre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a massacre. We saw that coming from a mile away, guys. He got, he got yeah. slapped. Yeah. Back in the day, though, um, this guy was a phenomenal fucking leader. The charisma that this guy had, and I've been to events where he would walk in and the people were just ready to go to war with this guy. Mm. That's the kind of leader he was, right? He had that kind of charisma. And he was there for such a long time that people got attached to that kind of sensitivity, to that kind of leadership, to that kind of persona mm. that they mm -hmm. want to see at the head of the party. So when he left in 2012 and, and Philip Couillard came in, not to say that Philip Couillard was a bad guy, because if you look at his track record, there's never ever been before a government, at least in recent time, that has had not only four balanced budgets, we're talking about surplus budgets, four consecutive ones. I mean, he handed over a government to 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 Legault with a $5 billion surplus. That has never been seen before. And by mm -hmm. the end of that year, they did an economic correction to $7 billion or $8 billion. So it was a phenomenal time in Quebec's mm -hmm. economy during that four years. However, Philippe Couillard was such a cerebral person that he came in and said, listen, we need to get from point A to point B. How do I get it done? Who do I need to bring on board? And how? What do I need to get there? So he was focused so much on that mission that he forgot the most important thing, which was the connection with your base. Yeah. And that's what I told you before. We felt it immediately in 2014 when um, when we won that campaign and we, we got into government. The one thing that we noticed immediately was that there was this complete disconnect between you know the ivory tower the premier's mm -hmm. office and you know le comité des uh, des de, de priorités which is like five or six ministers that really you know set the agenda and the writing offices and the membership and that's something that we didn't know what to do with because back in the day with Jean Charest the word was you get a call from any writing office you drop what you're doing and you help these people like right it was like a, a rule of thumb there was no mm -hmm. ifs or buts about it uh, and I remember, I remember anything we needed and we called any cabinet or whatever. Within half an hour, we had a call back. There was things were moving, right? They, they gave so much importance to the ground. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's just the style of politics that Charest brought, right? Uh, it was very different for, for um, with, uh, with, um, with uh, Philip Couillard and it impacted directly the base. So a lot of people are blaming uh, Dominique Anglade, I, I just think that she just inherited this and she just came in at the wrong time yeah. where the party had already just disconnected completely. The fact that we lost the elections and the liberals went into opposition for four years, that even that, that grew that disconnection even wider. And Dominique Anglade is just not that person that was able to bring them back. Um, it's sad. So to go back to your initial question, what it's going to take to bring these parties back, uh, bring these parties back, if ever there's anything that could happen, mm -hmm. I think it, it relies exclusively on leadership. Uh, and I'll give you an example. And I don't know if this is going to work or if it's even going to happen. It's a complete hypothesis. But imagine that a guy like Mario Dumont would come back to the Liberal Party. Because very few people know that Mario Dumont was in the Liberals, right? He yes. was uh, he was the president of the youth wing of the Liberal Party. Uh, Robert Bourassa 
was calling this guy his successor, right? They, they, they had pinpointed Mario Dumont as the, the new face of the Liberal Party. He was such a brilliant guy. And we saw him when he, you know, as a leader of the ADQ, Mario Dumont was an amazing politician. Yes. He was incredible. Um, and so I'm throwing this out there. Like, imagine uh, hypothetically a situation where a guy like Mario Dumont would come back to the Liberal Party. Just think about what, what, what impact that would have. I'm telling you from now, people are going, are, they're going to come in their pants, right? I mean, the Liberal yeah. Party is going to fucking revive. I, if I were him, I would probably not do that. I mean, the job that he has now is mm -hmm. probably better than anything that he would have ever hoped for. But just imagine. So that's, yeah. that's what I want people to take away from this is it, it all comes down to the individuals and to the, to the leadership ability. And to go to the PQ, I'm not sure about Paul Saint-Pierre Plamodon. The, the disadvantage this kid has had is that he wasn't in the House. He was the leader outside. He wasn't elected. Mm -hmm. so the entire mandate, the, the PQ didn't even have a leader in the House. So that's excessively difficult to manage. Um, but again, just to use the same analogy, imagine if a guy like Pascal Berube would actually come uh, come up as the leader of the PQ. I can assure you right now, things are going to turn for the PQ immediately. I don't know if he's going to do it or if he wants to, but it, 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 I, I firmly believe that it relies ex ex exclusively on the characters, the leadership, and the charisma that they will bring. Well, I think I think when we look at uh, the PQ, uh, I agree with you both both of your assessments. It's pretty hard to. Uh, I don't see how much life they have left in the battery, honestly, in terms of being focused on one sole aspect, which is of course sovereignty and, and separation of Quebec as its own nation. Um, I don't I, I mean that it just doesn't resonate with with the the youth the youth like like Nicholas was saying before they're worried about a lot more stuff affording you know retirement uh, affordable housing health care education it, it yeah. never ends I think that the last thing on their list honestly is sovereignty so I don't see them going anywhere even if they would have a better be honestly I, I, I don't see them when it comes to liberals guys I don't know if, you know if you agree with me on this I really think that again, I agree with George. Is that you know, Dominica and Glad, you know, being such an intelligent woman, and I know, and you guys know, I'm friends with Filomena Raterotti, huh? and she's told me she's told me off air what a brilliant woman she is, and 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 educated and well spoken, and you see that it's just that the charisma is not there. But I think that she came in at the wrong time, mm -hmm. and I think that she is literally, and the party is paying. For all its mistakes and all the uh, yeah, but, scandals, you know, it's, George, excuse, but it's an easy excuse, Luigi. Man, you're coming in. You have to assume the leadership. You got to do yeah. whatever it takes to bring it up again. And I and this is like insider information, like I'm giving you guys here. Mm -hmm. The biggest problem with Dominique Anglade isn't Dominique Anglade. It's the people that she's selected in her entourage. That's the fucking problem. And I don't I, I don't care about saying this publicly in live. Yeah. They they know this firsthand. I don't care. I'll tell them in their face. It's the biggest problem. So, and that falls again on the leader. If you're not able yes. to find the, the appropriate people around you, or maybe you don't know if they're appropriate or not. If in the course of the two and a half years that you've been a leader, you haven't had, you know, the reflex of figuring out if these people are the right people for you, it says a lot about your your, your person mm -hmm. and your leadership, right? So it, it, for me, it all comes back to you. Uh, and yeah, again, I, I'm not ready to put the entire blame on her, but at the same time, that's your job. No, you're, you're right. You're there for that reason. If I could just say this quick, quick, and I understand Luigi would want to bring what he wants to bring to the table. Um, the, the provincial liberals were in power yeah. 
from 2007 till 2014 with a little interlude in 2012 with the, yeah. the PQ and Palimarwa. From 2000. Yeah. Oh, 2003. I'm sorry. I honestly yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, it's, it's a long um, time. Yeah. They were in power at a time, and the way that they sort of balanced the budget and got to the surplus, they cut to the bone in terms of the healthcare yes. system and on other things. And a lot of people are not going to forget that because it was partly because of that that our healthcare system is in the state of collapse that it is. Though, of course, we have to see, we have to wait and see what's going to happen at the federal level if they're going to start increasing the social transfer payments, because we, to to just remind everyone, because I studied this at Concordia, like you did at one point, uh, George, Canadian federalism, healthcare and education, the provinces get a shit ton of money from the feds, from the social transfer payments that they, that come from the budget every April, May, when taxes are due. Uh, so we have to see what's going on at the federal level, but the, the provincial level, the liberals did cut to the bone. They, they could have maybe done things a little bit differently. They could have maybe increased taxes or something. But that is what brought us to this point where doctors and nurses and support staff and custodial people like the janitors and all that are at a state of total collapse. Like this yeah. burnout. Like if I could just say this, and, and this is another thing, me, the millennial saying this, the physical and mental burnout that everyone is feeling, that is going to be the next healthcare crisis that current legislation and the current climate and culture is ill-equipped or not, like they're ill-equipped to deal with and not willing to deal with. Yeah. We're already there, right, Nick? Yeah. <laughs> that crisis could, is already there. Like, if I could just get this off my chest, like one of the things I really wanted to say, and George, you could certainly chime in and say, hey, like, it, would this be possible or not? Like, if you want to engage young folks, maybe we could have a conversation about, oh, maybe can we have 10 to 14 days of paid sick days? for example, that are mandated by the Quebec uh, Labor Code. Like very recently, to Justin Trudeau's credit, I will give him credit where credit is due, they recently passed uh, changes to their uh, code. So anyone working in a federally regulated sector like telecommunications, uh, the airplane industry, they now have 10 uh, paid sick days because of what happened with the coronavirus pandemic. Can't we have the same thing here in Quebec? And if you want to deal with the health, if you want to deal with, you know, the issue of physical and mental burnout as well, which, again, will be logically and objectively the next healthcare crisis, maybe instead of having a pathetic two weeks of minimum vacation, maybe increase that to four. Like that could help us out a lot. Stat holidays, like when Francois Legault made the uh, the comment about September 30th, the day for the indigenous for the indigenous reconciliation. Oh, we, we, we can't afford to lose any like any more productivity first. Um, <laughs> Can we give our indigenous brothers and sisters a day, given that they've gone historically through a whole lot worse in terms of uh, you know what they've gone through in, in comparison with the Quebecois? Can we give them the day? And also, when he said productivity, like I like I would have one of those moments where um, were one of those moments where I really wanted to snap. Like I've seen Luigi snap on occasion. Like I wanted to snap. Like excuse the fuck out of me. Pardon the language, Luigi. But like. We've been the most productive, and because of that productivity, we're the most burnt out. So I think a lot of us could have had that extra day off because of it. So actually giving empowering workers the ability to actually take the day off or to give them at least the right to take the day off if they need to take the day off, a paid day off. So you want to engage folks, and people can certainly say, oh, all the millennials and Gen Z, they're a bit more sensitive and not as tough. Like, I'm toughening myself up. Like I've 
been through that growth over the last year or so. But there is still a point to be made that if you physically and mentally burn yourself out, you're done. You you, you yeah. can't like it, it, like that ha- like those things have to be dealt with in terms of public health policy and in terms of social policy as well. Yeah, well, the, big, the, the biggest challenge going forward will be dealing with the labor shortage, right? So all these things are, uh, are, yeah. are dead center in this, and how you're going to deal with it and what you're going to bring to the table are definitely going to be central in the next government, I think. What were you saying, what, Luigi? What I find so uh, intriguing here is that the fact that George said, you know, the, the, liberal co- the, the liberal four balanced budgets with surpluses in the billions, but then, of course, Nicholas brought up to the yes, but at the cost of, Remember that that the O word austerity. Yeah, you know, you guys, guys, look. Oh, we, 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 I know austerity from Greece. We, we, we know that we, word yes, we, exactly. We can get into this, but I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want this to become too biased. The fact <laughs> is, and I'll just, I'll just leave it out there. A lot of people have been uh, judgmental on those four years, saying that there were cuts. So if you look at the budget, there isn't one department that got less money. What they did is that they uh, they put a ceiling on government spending based on inflation so that they can pay mm-hmm. off whatever uh, deficit they had, uh, banking on the fact that the economy would grow and bring forth uh, surpluses, which is exactly what happened. But the problem was that when all these government departments are making budgets ahead of time and they're thinking, oh, you know what? Fuck inflation. Let's uh, make a budget now. Uh, I don't know, uh, 30, 40, 50 percent more and tell the government that we need this money. But then suddenly there's a government that comes and says, you're not going to get that money. You're going to get whatever you're getting now plus inflation because we need to manage our books. I see it as responsible government. Now, other people might see it as you cut the Cutting is a big word. It's not. It's not factual because they did not mm-hmm. cut. They just didn't uh, give the money to uh, to the point where these departments had hoped they were going to get. But at the same time, it's like managing your house. If you need to cut, you you need to cut. You have to yeah. cut from somewhere. Um, so and anyways, we're not we're not gonna. That, that, that's just no, the way I'm I happy, see. I'm happy you brought that up, George, because I'm I, I I can make a direct correlation to what I see what's going on now. Because I don't think it's it's a government. Honestly, for once, I'm not going to shit on the government, believe it or not. But in terms of indiv- I'm seeing individual companies and the decisions and the budgets that they've made and forecasting according to uh, COVID times. Right. I was going I was about to say wartime. Uh, yeah. It was. the OK, so I could just within my family, my family, and I'm not going to say any any company names. They look mm-hmm. at forecasting, one of which. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't even work for them anymore, which was a uh, a brewer. Okay. Mm-hmm. This brewer during during COVID, what, what happened? People were home drinking like animals, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So made their forecast and produced so much alcohol 24 hours a day. What do you think happened, guys? They had to get rid of, I don't know how much stock. They literally took beer, sacrilegious, threw it down the drain. Oh come on! Eliminated seventy five percent of their of their staff. Oh, okay, Jesus. that's oh. one. Two, the other one I'm not gonna say, but anyway, made forecasts during um, during COVID times again. Everybody was home. Everybody was taking care of their homes. So it's 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 in the home construction field. All right, I, I don't want to again. I don't want to say any names. Made forecasts based on that. What do you think happens now? Everybody's traveling. No one gives a shit about their house anymore. And they're still based on forecasts that were, were, were related to COVID times. Yeah. Guys, it, I don't know. I, I don't understand who, first of all, is making these decisions. I don't understand how you could base your decision. You think these times COVID was going to last forever? 
it, it, it's so I could directly relate it to what George was saying. It, it's really sometimes it's not the government's fault, but rather the people making the decisions, the forecast based on current times. Times yeah. are not always going to be the same way. I see it the same way as I see CEOs that are forecasting exponential growth from here to kingdom come. It's not reality. So sometimes, you know what? For once, I know you could record this. It actually is going to be recorded. I'm not blaming the government. So mm -hmm. can, can yeah. we go back to what we were talking about before about the, the, the disappearance of uh, the Parti Québécois and how people think that, you know, the separatism isn't any longer a, a priority. And, and I've been thinking about that a lot. And do you guys really think that it's over? Do you th really think that sovereignty Potentially. is is, is 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 a non-issue now because I always feel that, given the context uh, and the reality that we live in in Quebec, sovereignty is probably never going to disappear. Maybe it's in the low rank right now, but I just feel that it's always going to be on the you know in, in the back burner somewhere. I don't know, man. I'm not ready to rule out the idea that sovereignty as the concept is dead in Quebec. And to demonstrate that, I mean, look at Quebec solely there. They're, I don't mm -hmm. know, again, we don't know what's going to happen, but assume that they're going to they're gonna be opposition. Again, like we said, they came in with one MNA in 2005, and in 2022, they're going to probably make, assuming they make official opposition, they're a sovereignist party. They're a separatist party. And in their platform, it says that within year one, they're launching public consultations. They put aside, I think, $500 million uh, to, 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 to engage in public consultations to look exactly on how they can uh, move forward with, uh, with, uh, with a referendum. So I'm not so sure that idea is dead in the water. And uh, like we said before, everything seems to be circular, right? Everything maybe goes down, but who knows what's going to happen in the next five to 10 years. I'm just not ready to rule it out. That's why, you know, the PQ's mission, but they didn't do well this time around. Uh, you know, the last uh, five to eight years hasn't been pretty for them, but I'm just not sure they're dead yet. I, I agree with you, you, George. The thing is, is that I think it's, it's at the bottom of the priority. Because PQ, it's always been here is here is our mission. That's it. Quebec Solidarity, they're gonna hide it, right? Or mm -hmm. they're gonna hide it. People yeah, are not gonna you know, this is the first this is the first campaign though that they're out open about it. And I, I've campaigned against these guys and we've had some crazy battles in the writing that I was in. They never campaigned on sovereignty. Never. No, because they're this smart. time around it's come up. They're, they're campaigning on it. The reporters have had even asked Eric Duhem. Would, uh, where he would vote, and he said, "Look, uh, we'll leave the door open. We don't know. We don't. We don't know what's going to happen, right? For for them, it's like a flavor of the month kind of thing. If the people want it, we'll give it to them. Um, so, and we know that Legault was a hardcore fucking separatist. Don't forget that he was the finance minister. Hypothetically, le, le, le budget du jour un. Remember that? Yeah. Like Quebec's, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, Quebec's day one. He yeah. was. He had." plan that budget, right? Um, look at the people that he's recruiting. Drainville, Caroline Saint-Hilaire. You have a bunch of those guys. Um, I don't know. Look, I don't, I don't know. Dead. I'm leaving it as a parenthesis. I'm just not sure it's gone. I don't think it's gone. gone. I just think that it's there, but it's very low in terms of priority. For and now, yeah, yeah. In on the back door, as a concept, will. like as a concept, I'm not ready to mark it as disappeared. Like it's no, it's not. And then it'll never, because la malaise is always there. Could I... I just thought of this right now, and we have to remember Quebec Solidaire at one point was just one party. They merged with Option Nationale. Yeah. 
some time ago who they themselves were hardcore separatists. Well, so the like guy, the, the guy elect, the, the the people elected in the region of Quebec in Tasher and Jean Lesage, uh, forget mm-hmm. his name, uh, what's his name? I forget the the the, the guy's name is Jean Lesage, but uh, you had Catherine Dorion in Tashiro there that uh, that yeah. made a lot of uh, media that uh, picked up a lot of attention and Saul uh, Saul Zanetti in in Jean- these guys were part of Option Nationale. Do you think there would be the possibility in terms of maybe a consolidation of the separatist vote? Like, would you potentially see that the was, idea of Quebec yeah. Solidaire yeah. and Parti Québécois merging that so that they have all it, it was like, maybe. It like was in the works. Are- it was in the works. That I can I, I can tell you that, and it's public. I mean, it's known. It's well known that right before Gabriel Nadeau Dubois came in as a co-porte-parole, uh, in I think it was in 2014 or 15, um, the guy that actually won in in, in Laurier Dorian in 2018, a guy that I know fairly well, Andres Fontesilla, he was um, he was tasked in the party to negotiate with the PQ. On merging, and things were advancing. I don't know exactly where they were, but when Gabriel Nadeau Dubois came in, uh, one of the first things he did was to just remove Andres from there. It was a big blow for for Andres Fontesilla. It was like fuck off, we're not doing this. It was gone. The idea was gone. So, I, is it possible? I don't know. At the same time, if the PQ actually does end up with one or two MNAs, will they have a choice? Maybe they're going to knock on the door again. I don't know. Everything is possible. Uh, the fact that they're both sovereign um, uh, separatist parties, maybe they'll look at what you know uh, what they have in common rather than what they don't. You know. Yeah, because yeah, I, I I come from that I come from that place because <laughs> consolidation can always help uh, you politically because if ever you have vote splitting of any type, that could not benefit. That will certainly not benefit your cause. Like I've heard of potential talk, though I don't know if this will ever happen, of the NDP and the Greens federally potentially merging so that they can wow. so that they can consolidate at least the left-leaning uh, vote uh, in that sense. Like, how do you think, for example, the, the the federal conservatives in 2006 how they were able to eke out their first minority government, like the Canadian Alliance Party? I was old, I'm old enough to remember this. Canadian Alliance Party, which was at one point the Reform Party under Preston Manning, mm-hmm. and the old on the old school Progressive Conservative Party under Peter McKay finally uh, dug the shovels. They merged together and they finally made it yeah. in 2006. They grew in 2008 and then they finally got their coveted majority in 2011. But that, so yeah, but that was strictly mathematical and it made sense. Look at the look at what's happening now. Do you think Quebec Solidaire needs the PQ? Not it right certainly now. wouldn't hurt. It would not hurt them but in order to consolidate. They don't, they don't need them. And look again, hypothetically speaking, if they make the opposition, it's gone. Like they don't need the PQ anymore. They're better than the PQ. They, they have more seats than the PQ. They're more popular than the PQ. So any talks about merging is definitely not going to come from Quebec Solidaire. That's for sure. I mean, I don't know if, what the PQ is going to do, but they don't need them anymore. They, well, they, they, I guess it's going to depend on how they do it. This, you know. Uh, but ideologically, how far are they off Quebec Solidarity and PQ? They are far. They are far. I mean, look, PQ is not a left-wing party. Mm. Uh, I mean, they always were associated to the left because they had the syndicate uh, world yeah. always attached to them. The but labor I, vote. Okay, yeah. You know what I mean? So, but they weren't that left. I mean, you know, they, they were they were a pretty progressive uh, party, I think. Uh, the, the, the Quebec Solidarity is, is, is the radical left. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. Uh, yeah, I don't no, know. Of course. It's, it's, it's a grassroots. Obviously radical left separatist party. I mean, that's the best description that I can give them. So 
ideologically, aside from that, the fact that they're both separatists, I don't see where they're at. I mean, I, 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 so, so we, sh we shouldn't be even be surprised with with the way the thinking is in society today that the radical left party is actually, you know, leading in, as the opposition. What I wanted to, what I, I yeah, to, but it's we've seen it happen before. I mean, it wouldn't yeah. be new, right? I mean, look, sure. uh, Nick mentioned Greece. I mean, they had uh, two full mandates under uh, the equivalent party. Yeah. And it went, it, is, uh... <laughs> it went to shit. So, and you know what's yeah. funny? I was talking about this with some friends. Uh, I, we, we were discussing this on the morning show on, on Wednesday. I'm like, you know what? Maybe what it takes for people to understand how bad these parties are, we would have to sacrifice one or two mandates and actually put them in power. You know what? Go into power, show us what you can do. And maybe that's what it would take for people to really understand that shit, we made a mistake. Yeah, well, based on the examples we've seen before, that's right? a scary so, thought because if we're going to use that as an example, mm -hmm. we could look at California and we all know. Right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, oh, yeah. I don't know if I'm. But if, it, I could just, if I could say this sure. about California, I find it hilarious that Gavin Newsom's in-laws moved to Florida and gave money to Ron DeSantis. Can we just say how hilarious that is? And for those for, for those who don't know, Ron DeSantis is a current governor of Florida, <laughs> a potential front-runner for 2024 That's, for the Republicans, if Trump could just say that out. Republican tattooed on his forehead. Guys, Guys. Yeah, go ahead, Luigi. No, I just because I, I wanted to uh, I wanted to discuss now what you know, we've we've, dis we've talked about it so much. And I think this is something that we definitely need to talk about and, and give credit where credit is due. You know, with the rise of populism uh, as, as a leader, and you've mentioned how important charismatic leaders are now more than ever. We have our drama boy. We have um, I, I can't even say his name. He's also a singer. He's also yeah, a, he's singer. a singer. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, oh, why Donald why? Trump? Why? You know, with Donald Trump, we have you know DeSantis. You mentioned it. It, it. It's it's all about these charismatic and these these larger than life personalities. Okay, and so you know, George said something that we have to look at the rise of Eric Zuam and, and the Conservative Party of Quebec, and, and probably that's going to be most likely used as a case study in five to ten years from now. But I before so. we we discuss Eric, uh, I have a friend from my my good friend um, Tony Cheech, and uh, he says, "Do you guys hey, think?" Tony. Graham uh, do you think uh, Duam's awful reputation in Quebec City's garbage radio days, <laughs> along with whether Congestilio cost him on election day? <laughs> I know people have a short memory, but all those racist, Islamophobic, sexist, and Marxist spewed on his shows have to catch up to him eventually. Yeah. So let's let's yeah, start, yeah. Off, with, let, let's, let, let's start let, off with yeah. this. Here's what I think. Uh, the reason why Eric Duhem managed to do what he has managed to do is because he's never shied away of speaking his mind. And people uh, gravitate mm -hmm. around that. Authenticity. This is who it is. This is what he said. He's never come out and said, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done it because now I'm a politician, so I need to protect my reputation, my mm -hmm. image. He's never done that. Uh, and uh, he's even defended some of his candidates that have done horrible things during this campaign you know i mean you have we used to call them the fishermen there's a department that just looks for garbage uh and, and these scandalous quote-unquote things yeah. to bring up during the campaign to kind of derail it and he doesn't care he's completely unfazed by it he's like yeah well look they're free to do what they want right this is the society that we live in and let's just accept it and move on and things just bounce right off him uh people seem to gravitate and just to get back to um antonio's comment about the garbage radio Yes, it's in the region of Quebec, and look at his polls. He is leading, or at least he's very close second in the in the region of Quebec. He is putting a lot of energy in that whole, you know, like 200-kilometer radius 
uh, around Quebec City. Chauveau, mm -hmm. Beauce-Nord, Beauce-Sud, uh, yeah. um, uh, Jean Lesage. He's doing spectacularly well. I've always said from the very beginning of this campaign that I think he's very underestimated. They were giving him maybe one seat. I'm not so sure about that, guys. I do not know. I think he may do better. Again, I, I could be completely uh, wrong. I, I don't know. But just to answer that question, yeah, he was part of Garbage Radio in Quebec, but that's where he's getting most of his popularity. Yeah. So I don't know. How do you answer that? If I could say this as someone who, again, very recently, like earlier this week, I made the decision to purchase a membership with the, with the provincial conservatives. But again, my mind can certainly change. And it's the hallmark of maturity and like being responsible. Like I could change my mind. I could potentially go back to voting with the liberals if they can get their shit together. You know, you have to, you, you have, if they do. You always have to have an open mind and to allow your opinions to change with new data and new understanding of reality. But like what the conservatives themselves are tapping into and what was somewhat discussed on Eric Duham's appearance on the Dr. Peterson podcast, which again, I haven't seen the whole thing, so I won't comment on the totality of it, but at least what I've seen, I think a lot of folks uh, in Quebec were just shocked at how severe the lockdowns were in Quebec mm -hmm. and also on top of it, the curfew as well. So I think that shock and that we can't allow this to happen again to us. Like there's going to be, there is going to be that pushback and all of that pushback may be concentrating in the provincial conservative party. Like they are purporting themselves. If you look at the traditional political spectrum, George, they're certainly conservative, but they're more libertarian, they're libertarian, they're libertarian, so like, but they're tapping into that angst and that like, okay, maybe we shouldn't yeah. do that again. Because again, uh, many restaurants, many businesses have closed uh, down because of it. Like, of course, what happened to, for example, the Tripoli uh, Tripoli uh, restaurant in Park X. Uh, very recently on uh, the Pantelis podcast on the intellectuals, like Guido Grasso is shutting down Sapori di Napoli uh, finally. So, so which many, is not... so many, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. So, so, like, I'll, I'll, that... I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll tell you one thing. Yeah. For now, and again, to, 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 to touch upon what Luigi was saying, you got to give credit where credit is due. The fact that yeah. HM came in and took that party from non-existence to yeah. having a run potentially at opposition based on the polls, right? I mean, I don't think they're going to do that. Uh, I mean, I don't know how the polls are conducted and how they're uh, extrapolated, but um, it, it's quite a feat, guys. This yeah. party, and for the for people watching or listening, the conservative part of Quebec is not a new party. They've existed since the 90s. It's just that they've had so such marginal support that they were practically not even on the map. Like, forget about the map. They, they weren't even close to, to being on the map. Like They couldn't even see the mm. map. Get on it. They, they were <laughs> far it. away from it. Um, we're talking about less than 1%. Uh, of the vote uh, uh, of, uh, of the vote um so the fact that in uh, what six seven months the guy came in record membership record financing definitely beat the liberal party i'll tell you that and the pq i think yeah. in, terms of, in terms of membership and fundraising um have you seen the rallies we're talking people in the thousands so but here's the thing a lot of the support, and you're right, Nick, a lot of the support came from people's kind of exasperation about everything that we went through over the last two and a half years. The the the, the speech that Eric Duhem has is that we're fucking tired, we're free, you should have never done that. And yes, he's getting a lot of that support, but let's keep in mind that the majority of the Quebecers were in favor 
of these measures. And not only that, but in, uh, across Canada as well. So when we look at the numbers, maybe it makes sense for what he says and what we think or other people think or the people that support him think. But when you look at the greater picture, it doesn't. You're right. It doesn't. A lot of the people were in favor mm -hmm. of everything that happened. And in the first debate, I don't know if you I was looking forward to seeing Eric Duhem destroy Francois Legault on the pandemic thing. And it backfired completely. Francois Legault, it was probably his one moment during that debate where he actually stood up and looked like a fucking leader because he was getting clobbered from all sides he was a it was a very bad debate for Francois Legault except for that one point where he actually stood up to Eric Duhem and he came out on top on everything that they've done and how responsible they were and how dare you to question whatever science or whatever you know whatever argument that he came up with maybe it makes no sense but the fact that the the the, the majority of the population was in favor of these measures it's kind of like a thorn on Eric Duhem's side that right uh despite the fact that he he's garnered a lot of support primarily from that uh, population that were against these measures. So I'm not so sure how how much mm -hmm. he can withhold that in time. Eventually, he's going to have to shift away from that discourse. He's going to have to yeah. really stick to actual policy. And he has some good ideas. I'm not, I'm not saying right. I mean, the, the privatization of health is one thing. Like he, he has some interesting things in his platform, um, but he's going to have to kind of go to the to that, right, and leave the other things behind because if you look at the numbers, people are actually in favor of what Lego did. I mean, we can agree or disagree, but I'm just telling. Well, you no, I, I, I know, I and I, I, I still, you know, I, I stay up at night understanding how on the federal level, on the provincial level, that they were even a, a majority of people that were agreeing with what was happening, even after what's come out in terms of information. Yeah, it, anyway, it doesn't make sense, uh, but yeah, I mean, it is what it is. But but what? See, I've, I I was watching Duem um, doing his lives. And and every night almost during the, the pandemic. And part of me was like, wow, I'm really impressed with this guy. But part of me is like saying, here it is. You're finally getting a politician that's just talking the way he wants to say, saying, not being unapologetic to anything that he's saying, like George uh, hinted to. Yeah. And, and saying everything, like Nicholas says, that everything to go against Legault, same way as on the federal level when uh, uh, Pierre goes against uh, Justin Trudeau. I'm just afraid about, is there any substance behind those words? Because like at a certain point, again, like you both alluded to, at a certain point, you just got to stop, right? Now you're going to say, okay, let's say if I am in the opposition. Yeah, I mean, let's say on, yeah like yeah. how long can you ride that wave? That's the only thing, you know, I mean, now maybe it's relevant, right? It's relatable. We're still in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we still have the the the... The, the the checkpoints at the at the passport we have a rife can uh, at least until the 30th of september yeah. i don't know what's gonna happen after that uh so it's still there we're still living that right but eventually as time goes by you know we're gonna you know we're gonna forget these things i mean people forget re really quickly so i don't know i mean he's he needs to kind of start surfing on another wave a little bit right so eventually like maybe he can just transition uh like seamlessly or as seamlessly as possible here's the one fascinating thing that i think uh people are um are neglecting because there's a lot of people comparing eric duhem to maxim bernier uh similar discourse you know uh, and they're thinking yeah but i don't know i don't i don't think it's gonna go anywhere because look at maxim bernier him too he had thousands of people in his rallies and he went nowhere and even in the polls he was polling at eight nine percent whatever uh, i'm talking about maxim bernier the difference the big difference 
is that when you're looking at Maxim Bernier's polls, they're across Canada. So it's very difficult mathematically to win a seat when you're pulling in at, they were saying three, four, five other pollsters had him at eight, you know, seven, eight, nine uh, across Canada. It's not concentrated enough in a specific area to elect an, an, an MP. Mm. In mm -hmm. Quebec, however, it's a different reality. It's one province. It's not across Canada. So the polling that he's bringing in is significant enough to have bigger impact than just one seat that they're projecting. That's why I'm thinking that he may be underestimated. And when you're looking at the rallies of thousands of people, perhaps it's significant enough to make a difference on a regional basis, on a yeah. riding, at a riding level. And especially yeah. when we're looking at that 200-kilometer radius around Quebec City where he's been focusing on, maybe he could break into that with more than one seat. We'll see. Well, especially with the with the drop off of the, of the liberals, definitely. I mean, those are those those seats are going to be up the liberals are non existent anymore in the regions yeah. after the 2018 elections. They're they're gone. I mean, they're they're coming in third or even fourth in certain writings. It's it's embarrassing. I can't writings that they had been in power for a long time, right? Like I'm thinking of uh, Huntington, for example, mm -hmm. where uh, you know there was Stefan Billet over there who was there from 2003. He was he, you couldn't move him. He was so fucking, you know what I mean? And now, mm -hmm. if you look at Huntington, I don't know if the writing is still called Huntington or if they change, whatever. I can bet anything that the liberals are probably maybe third or fourth. Who knows? I don't, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's embarrassing. This is the writing of former Premier Jean Charest, Sherbrooke. You have a three-way race between the CAC, Quebec Solidaire, and the Conservative Party, and liberals are coming in at fourth. It, it, it makes no sense. Well, the Liberals are certainly going to get decimated in Laval. Like, the only writing, of course, they will get is Shamity, because yeah, we all know... To, yeah, but uh, look, uh, I, I think that they may be able to pull it off, and I'm telling you right here, right now, that it wouldn't surprise me if they didn't. Um, I looked at the numbers, and it's not the numbers that, you know, the Liberals had back in the day where Guy Ouellette was winning with, you know, 16, 17, 18, 20,000 vote difference. In 2018, Guy Ouellette won with... A little under eight thousand votes. It's significant. It's significant. It's a it's a it's a huge margin. But let's keep in one thing in mind: you don't need to lose eight thousand votes to lose the seat. You need at least half. So if four thousand votes either don't show up for the Liberals or go somewhere else, Shamit is gone also. So of course it's a huge thing. I mean, you know, but it could happen. You know. So let's not uh, let's not be too sure over there because the CAC is making. Uh, huge gains in Laval, and so is the PCQ. So yeah. I don't know. If you're looking specifically for Shaman, because I've studied that, that writing a little bit, if the, the conservatives manage to gain some ground and the, and, the, and, and the CAC as well from the liberals, I don't know. I don't know. But for sure, the CAC is finishing this election with five writings in Laval. That's guaranteed. Wow. It's, a, it, it, it's bad. It's horrible. It's bad. Yeah. It's bad. Yeah, that is that is bad. Um, another good friend of mine and uh, supporter of the show asked uh, opinions on Anglad. Uh, Dario, if you had joined us a little bit earlier, uh, we did speak about it, but I did have a question for the guys here. And um, if she, if the liberals do have the disastrous uh, results that everybody's predicting, um, obviously she's gone. So that's number one. Uh, yeah. think she's gone and two who is a viable replacement for her yeah. to bring the liberals to the next level you know what's interesting i'm hearing that 
despite what we're seeing and what is clearly evident to everyone that the Liberal Party is taking a big shot to the balls this time around, there's murmurs, there's chit-chat that Anglad wants to stay. And I just don't understand that. I mean, how? How can you even... Uh-uh. Will the uh-uh. Party allow, how will the party allow it, though, George? It doesn't matter. I mean, she's the leader. But... Uh, I, uh, She's going to get pressured to leave. That, that, that there's no, there's no, there's there's not an inch of doubt in my mind about that. But again, these are all things that are coming to me. Maybe I, maybe they're completely wrong. Maybe they're just rumors or whatever it is. But the fact that she has hinted that I want to stay on board is problematic. Like you are delusional. Do you not see what's happening? You are at risk to lose your own seat. Yeah. In Saint Henri Saint Anne. Saint-Henri Saint-Anne is a three-way race between the Liberals, CAC, and Quebec Solidaire. So the 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 the, the candidate, the Quebec Solidaire candidate, is actually the president of the party, um, and it's it's going to be a tight one. The same thing in Verdun, which is a neighboring riding. Yeah, three-way race over there. The riding that Nick talked about, uh, spoke about, Maurice Richard, Maurice Richard uh, right next to me. I, I yeah, think it's a three-way race. I think it's a two-way race between CAC and Quebec Solidaire. So this is this this goes back to what we're saying in the beginning. I have a feeling that Quebec Solidaire might lose the seats they got last election in the regions, but they may make some gains in Montreal. So I'm not so sure what number of seats they're going to end up with. But Dominique Anglade's seat is at risk, and even if she wins her seat. Okay, even if she wins her seat and the liberals end up with anything less than 26 seats, which is what they have now, or 27, you got to leave. You have to leave. You cannot do an election, get less seats and expect to remain in power. Maybe it's happened in the past. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what, you know, uh, I don't know. Who is the good option for who is the who would who would be the good option? There's a lot of things now. There's a lot of things. So first of all, just finishing up on uh, on Dominic Anglad. Mm -hmm. Personally. At this point, I wish, and I, I feel bad saying this, but I think for her, as objectively as I can think about this, I think it would be best for her to lose her seat because it's always best as a leader yeah. of a party to say, I lost my election. It's time for me to turn the page. Thank you all so much, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, your, your, your spiel and you leave mm-hmm. rather than to win your seat and be thrown out, have an embarrassing result and to be forced to resign. That's worse, I find. So if you had to compare, I would choose just lose my seat. I'll leave gracefully mm-hmm. rather than to win my seat and have to fucking resign after because of the embarrassing result I got for the party. Yeah. So that's one thing. So I, I believe on the night of the third, and if not on the night of the third, probably during the day on the 4th of October, mm-hmm. Dominic Anglade is resigning. That's my belief. Now, what's happening, um, how it works afterwards. There has to be an interim leader that has to be uh, chosen by the caucus, however many they're going to be. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't see them having more than 15 seats, to be honest with you guys. It's going to be it's going to be a bad loss. It's going to be a bad loss. Um, so the caucus is going to have to decide the interim leader. The party is going to be in shambles completely because don't forget now that the parties are funded publicly. It's not like it used to be where people like me, you, and you know everyone like they, we used to you know. Pay. Uh, you know, uh, f- we used to attend fundraising events and we used to pay, and that's how mm-hmm. money used to come to the party. It, it doesn't work any longer that way. I mean, parties could collect money, but with the hundred dollar maximum that they've imposed now, it's almost nothing. So yeah. the parties are funded publicly. I can't remember. I think it's like a dollar thirty or something like that per vote. So here's the strategy now. Even if you know you're losing an election, you have to put your effort on bringing out as much 
people to vote as possible because you're getting it's money. Every vote is money. And this is the problem right now, because if if we see the trend where the voter turnout keeps dropping, these parties are suffering because they're not going to get the money. Last election in 2018, I think the liberals got five million dollars less as a party than they used to. That means you got to fire people. That means you have less resources. That means so many things. Imagine managing a party that has $5 million less. We're talking about budget before. Imagine $5 million less. So imagine now, imagine now, okay, they're going to get destroyed. So uh, at the party level, I don't even want to discuss that. I don't even know what's going to happen there. So I know that in the past, the executive of the party had a say in the interim leader. I think there was kind of like a, like a joint kind of conversation about that. So there's going to be an interim leader. And then, there's going to be a leadership race that's going to, mm-hmm. that's going to start, and, and they're going to they're going to have to. We'll see who's going to be interested. Now, in terms of the interim, he needs to be in the house, and this is the other problem. All your experienced MNAs left. They left. Yeah. The people that were able to assume this role, like your Pierre Arcan, your Carlos Letao, your Christian Saint Pierre, they yeah. left. They're gone. Oh, your experienced Carl- people left. Carlos uh, Letao uh, is no longer running. No, no, he's not running. He's, not no, running. he's, he's gone. Chair- he's chairing the campaign, but he's not running. Um, okay. so, so they have nobody. The, the Liberal Party right now has rookies that were elected in 2018, with the exception of Philomena, um, André Fortin. Um, who else is there? I, I can't even think of uh, Maryse Gaudreau if she gets elected. We're talking about three or four people, maybe. Okay, wow. so I'm very good friends with Philomena as well. I, I doubt that she would want to assume the interim. I, I don't think she wants to do that. Uh, mm. So the problem is that even in the, in the interim, who's there? I don't know. And the people that want to run for the leadership race, they cannot be interim. Or there's also Marc Tanguy who gets elected in the east end of Montreal. So this is going to show us who's going to be up in the race. If, for example, after the elections, you know, obviously assuming that Anglade leaves, which I think she will, if you if you see that guys like André Fortin and and Marc Tanguy don't put their name in uh, in uh, in the hats to become interim leaders, <coughs> they're probably. Uh, lining up to go to the leadership race. They want to be the leaders of the party. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know who's going to assume the interim. I don't know. Many have suggested uh, Enrico Ciccone, who got elected in 2018 yes. for the first time, but his seat is risky too. We don't know. It's a tight race in... Uh, um, I forget the name of his writing. Um, uh, doesn't matter. Uh, so um, I don't know if he's going to get elected either. You mentioned Mara Risky. Yeah, Risky, I know that she had an interest in running in the leadership last time around in 2000, but she 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 didn't finally, and she ended up supporting Alexandre Cusson, um, and he stepped aside, and Dominique Anglade was crowned the, the 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 leader. I don't know. I I I, I see the leadership um, ability that Marois has. She's the type of person that takes up a lot of room. She wants her voice to be heard. She's also pregnant. She's expecting a baby within a month now. So is that yeah. is that going to play in on it? I don't know. Um, so there's a lot of factors around Marois Risky. I have no idea. So in terms of interim, I'm look. I'm following the campaign very closely. I'm seeing Marc Tanguy, who's that MNA uh, in the East End in RDP. I think he gets elected. Um, he's everywhere. He's all over the fucking map. This guy. So I think he's already. 
take you know taking his place is he doing it because he wants the interim position i don't know if he's doing it because he wants already his exposure uh, to be out there so he can have kind of like a um, an advantage to run for leader eventually i i, I don't know now the the people that I see from internally, the caucus running for leader, let's say we forget about the, the interim position. We don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. depends on who's going to be left in the caucus. But if we look at the leadership of the party, the only the, the two people that I see from internally, internally the party that, that would have an interest in running is André Fortin, who gets elected in Pontiac. It's out in the Outaouais. Um, and Marc Tanguy. These are the people that I see. And then there's a lot of talk about bringing someone from the outside. They don't want someone internally that's what i was going to say so from mm-hmm. the outside i'm hearing a lot the name of pierre moreau coming back into the scene pierre moreau for those who haven't been following he was elected he was a minister under in, in the charret government very uh talented guy but he's linked with the charret era and we know that yeah, that didn't work out so well for the Liberal Party. The whole thing with Charest and everything, you know, that that whole era, uh, it, it's still kind of like a dark cloud floating around. So the fact that you're bringing in Moreau, that's going to probably bring that whole thing back into the setup. Um, and again, I don't know if he's willing to do it. He's in his late 60s, in mid mid to late 60s. Now, I'm not saying he's old, but maybe at that age you want to enjoy your retirement. Yeah. I don't know. If he were to come back, though, he is he would be a top contender. The other thing that I'm hearing is a lot of people coming from the federal onto the provincial scene. If you've hmm. been following what's happening in the federal uh, in the federal scene, you have guys like Joel Lightbound. That mm-hmm. name may ring a bell. He was yes. the guy that stood up to Justin Trudeau and came out and said, it makes no fucking sense what we're doing. We need to have the numbers. Where are we going? Remember that? And, yes. Uh, yes. and he was within the caucus. Yep. Um, and he gets elected out in Quebec. So he's from the region. He's perfectly bilingual. He's a good-looking boy. He's a, he's a lawyer. There's a lot of talks that he may just dump the party because he's blacklisted anyway in, in that caucus. And he may just make the jump provincially and run for leadership. His seat, however, up in Quebec City is not guaranteed because Quebec City, the region of Quebec, is CAC and uh, conservative right now. So I don't know what's going to happen with him over there. The other thing I'm hearing, we, there was just a race in the leadership uh, party of uh, in the conservative party of Canada that just ended. And you have an entire caucus of conservatives that were elected in Quebec that did not support Pierre Poilievre, mm-hmm. one of which has resigned. He sits as an independent. Alan, Alan, Alan. Yes. And there's talk that maybe he will make the jump over. That maybe it's plausible. I don't see how that would happen. Alain Rayaez was with the ADQ before he ran as a candidate with Mario Dumont in 2003 and lost. And that's when he became the mayor of Victoriaville. And from there, he became uh, an MP. Um, would he make the jump to the liberals? I don't know. I would see him much more in the CAC, but I don't know. Who knows? He's a very popular uh, politician in that region. Is he going to make the jump? I don't know. There's another name that has circulated, again, from the liberals, uh, François-Philippe Champagne. He's the minister of um, uh, business development or industry, whatever it is. He's a short little guy, white hair. He's very energetic. Yeah, he's a fucking Super Bowl. He bounces all over the place. So the, his name has circulated as well. Personally, I don't think... He he would do that. I think he's probably eyeing Justin Trudeau's job more. 
um, François-Philippe Champagne. So having said that, I also think, even though Trudeau did mention that he's running in the next election against Pierre Poilievre, it's difficult for me to believe that. I always thought, I, I, I believe firmly that this was his the end for him. Like he was probably towards the end of the year or early next year, he was going to step down. We'll see. I don't know. Let's pray. Let's let's pray and hope to God. Look, if he if he does step yeah. down, if he does step down, I think François Philippe Champagne is is probably gonna look forward to that federal leadership. Um, so yeah, these are Which the is, uh, a lot a lot of options. A lot of options. And, and of course, sure. and of course, I mentioned before Mario Dumont. I know there were people that were really you know like up there in the party, like top uh, guys uh, at the party back in 2019, 2020 when we had the leadership race. Uh, they they had approached them. They, they, they had approached him. He said no. Obviously, he probably saw what's happening. He saw the mm -hmm. trend. Um, I don't know. Mario Dumont is an interesting fucking guy. Here Mario Dumont can turn the shit around. I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, again, if I were him, I probably wouldn't do it. <laughs> But well, yeah, I think I think they need to. I think they desperately need to go outside. But just in terms of branding, man, I can I can picture already le retour au Bercay. You know, he's yeah. coming back home. Come on, baby. Yeah. You're back. You're back to yeah. your roots, kind of thing. You know, like they can play onto that. So I don't know. I don't know. It, 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 I I wanted to leave politics for a while, and I keep getting pulled back in. <laughs> I stayed on board in 2018 and 19 because I wanted to contribute. I wanted to get involved in the leadership race. We didn't have a fucking leadership race. We had COVID. So instead, we got a leader that was crowned, which sucks. And I can tell you that not, no, it's not because I was against her or I hadn't chosen which camp I was gonna I was in. But in any party, anyone you can ask for, the last thing they want is a crowning. We don't want that. We want an actual race. We want ideas. We want people to go collect memberships. We want yeah. you know get people yeah. active again. And it didn't happen. Um, so this time around, I'm probably gonna stick around. I want to do a proper leadership race. So we'll see. It's gonna be interesting. I don't know who's gonna still be there. I don't know. Maybe people are just gonna disconnect entirely. Like, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll see who's left after the, the death settles. Throwing the towel, you know. I don't yeah. know. I hope they don't. Yeah. You know, Nick, your thoughts on uh, on Anglad? Then any? Uh, do you agree with what uh, George said? No, I definitely agree. And we have to remember, if you want to, again, because I always look at historic uh, parallels. Like it's what happened to. I forgot the name. I forgot his name. But it was a liberal leader in 2011 federally, uh, Ignatiev. Ignatiev yeah, himself. Yeah. He lost his own riding in Toronto, so like that was definitely assured. And of course, they had uh, Bob Ray come in as the federal leader, as the federal interim leader. They had their race, and of course, Justin Trudeau uh, became leader in 2012, 2013. I don't remember exactly what year. Um, honestly, the Liberals are going to need to stay in like that third party position for a long time. They need to do some soul searching. They need to see what they're doing right now, because again, as I said before. The political, the political compass and the political spectrum here in Quebec is undergoing some sort of realignment closer to a more traditional left-right political spectrum with only hints of the old spectrum still in place, either sovereignty or federalism. So they need to do some sort of soul-searching on this. And I think one of the greatest elements of soul-searching is this whole issue with the French language, if I could sort of segue to that a little, because mm. I have other big thoughts that I that I'd like to bring up uh, here if, if you don't mind Luigi of course not. Um, this whole issue with the French language and bill 96 again I think all of us can say that we're pretty much against some of the harshness of bill 96 I understand historic realities 
in terms of the French language being like a, an island of French in a sea of English, that classic historic expression. I look at, like, I used to be so against the notion of protecting, but like, again, I've sort of shifted like your, like Pantelis, uh, how Pantelis has sort of shifted a little bit and look at how Pantelis has become even more successful with this French cast, getting many folks on the French side, like Helen Boudreau, the UCAM girl, and for example, on his French cast, Sonia von Sacher, another person in that sphere, uh, many other individuals uh, coming to the French cast and talking uh, on that front. I look at it this way on, on the issue of French language, and please, George, I always welcome your, your, your comments on this, and Luigi as well. If you want people to protect the French language, there needs to be a sort of a change on a micro level and on a macro level. On a micro level, I actually had a, a very good conversation uh, with a friend of mine who is with the Parti Québécois still to this day, but him and I are very amicable. Him and I can get along very well. Like I worked with this guy, and I'm not going to mention his name because I want to protect mm -hmm. his privacy, of course. Uh, I had a conversation about with him about the French language issue during the last municipal election because him and I worked together with Ensemble Montréal in a Hanse Carcheville for, again, for Parizot and for the others like Effiyanu, for example, in Bordeaux Carcheville. Um, he recognizes that on the micro level, when you have certain elements within the Quebecois population who are constantly nailing people like myself, who I still on occasion struggle with certain words, but with certain expressions and certain things and certain verbs and all that in the French language, if you want to be technical. But when those folks are very harsh and are very uh, nasty with their comments of why can't you speak better French? Well, hey, hello, I'm a second generation Greek Canadian here who has three languages to balance. Uh, Luigi certainly feels the same way with English, French, Italian. You certainly feel the same way. And probably even more George, since your wife is uh is a, is a Latino, so you have Spanish as well that you have to worry about. So we need a, an environment on the micro level where if I make a mistake, instead of being harsh about it and being overly critical and hurtful, you have to actually help elevate me. You have to elevate someone like me. I make a reference to one person that has been very helpful, and again, names not mentioned, but at my current job, at one point I had a Quebecois as my team leader at my job. He saw that I was struggling a little bit, but he actually took the time to sit down with me on a one-on-one -on -one coaching session, disconnected from what I was doing uh, on the day, and gave me tips. And because mm -hmm. of those tips, now I'm better able uh, to communicate with French. And now I have many more folks on when I, when I was on the phones, because I was like a call center person, but now I'm doing other things. More and more people, more and more Quebecois said, oh, wow, your French is incredible. I'm like, I can speak three languages. And like, oh, it's like you need more moments on that. On the micro, on the macro level now, in terms of policy, you look at the OQLF and just how much money these guys get from the provincial government, from all of the budgets and from the special legislation that also gives them money. You know, it's not just a budget, but like you can have other pieces of legislation give them money. I thought about potentially going back to school to work on French. To work on, like, uh, I, I, I went to Concordia University like you did, George, uh, back in the day. And, of course, every university and even every CIGEP has their continuing education center where folks mm -hmm. can come back and take. Like, I did that for human resource management. Concordia has, like, a business French course that I could potentially take. And I'm like, hmm, that is certainly something that I could do. Now, 
if I make the decision to take that course or maybe the provincial government with their language uh, lessons for recently landed people, well, can't you make those lessons available to everyone? Like to every single Quebecer who wants to improve? Because I certainly would like to improve on my French and I take every opportunity to speak French whenever I can with people at work and outside when I'm out and about getting a coffee at my local cafe uh, on flurry sheets in the Hunsik representing my borough there, you know? Like, can't we just make those courses for free or just one little fee to t for just because, you know, when you do your language course, you have to test your fluency in reading, writing, and in, and in speaking. One little fee to test it, and then you're done. You don't have to worry about paying. Or if, let's say, for me, if I want to make the decision to, to go at this full, like to maybe go to part-time, working part-time at work, and then to go back to school in a more full-time sense, the OQLF can actually be useful and say, okay, this person is actually making an honest effort. Here's a paper you can give to your work for special an educational accommodation that has to be accepted. And that if I make the decision to work part-time, of course, I lose a little extra money from my pay because I'm not working full-time. Maybe I can actually get a little financial uh, incentive, like a like financial support, like not EI or welfare or something like that, but an educational bursary so that I can actually justify maybe going part-time uh, at work so I can go to school full-time so I could like work three days, do the class for two days and still have my weekend so I could be a normal human being. So mm -hmm. like they have to start thinking on stuff like that, like on the micro level in terms of having a more conducive culture. Cause like I, I also see it with certain restaurants, like certain ethnic restaurants that have that sticker that says, Hey, be patient with me with French, like help me learn. Mm. How, like you need more of that can do like the, on the micro level actually encouraging people and on the macro level actually coming up a policy that would make sense like opening up that language course to everyone in quebec because yeah. you want people to be fluent yeah. or yeah go ahead sorry sorry i don't, I don't want to interrupt you no no like looking at the look at looking at opening up that language course or for me going to Concordia, going back to Concordia today, taking that business French course, because potentially I'd like to maybe work for the human resources uh, department of my company. And because of that, I need to be perfectly fluent in French in a business sense so that I can read the, you know, the Quebec labor law, all of the documents from the provincial government. So it's like, that has to be done too. So yeah. like, those are just some of the things that we have to focus on a micro level and on a macro level, and maybe just one other little thing, and I'd like to hear what you have to say, uh, George and Luigi. Uh, and I'm sorry I'm taking so time, but like I really no. thought this through here uh, beforehand. Maybe in terms of like social media and just traditional media and content creation. Like again, we're seeing Pantel is doing his French cast. We're seeing many other creators. Like another creator that I think of is uh, Thomas uh, Gauthier, I think his name is, who's that French YouTuber from Quebec who's often considered like the arch enemy of the English YouTuber, JJ McCullough from Vancouver, who writes for the Washington Post. So like, I, I listened to Thomas Gauthier creating content in French. Maybe the Quebec government and the OQLF can start creating uh, content that helps to educate people on the French language at different levels. If I, could, if I could say this, I remember growing up in the 90s in my French class in elementary school, I went to Cedarcrest in Val-Saint-Laurent, we had this show that has a sort of a nostalgic reverence for many millennials of my age called Tele Francais, done mm -hmm. by TVO, where there's this like talking pi pineapple who has the most creepy eyes ever. And I have 
like I remember watching that show in French class. Like we need to start creating stuff like that. Maybe bring back the original from TVO because yeah, it was created by TVO, so you need to get the rights. So all of the episodes are up for everyone to see, and then creating additional educational content because. When, in terms of educational content that is created, like how do you think I was able to read so well? Well, I watched things like Reading Rainbow by done by LeVar Burton on PBS. How did I learn to be a moral and a moral person? Well, I learned to watch, of course, Mr. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, for example, on PBS too. So you have to come up with the creation, you have to come up with the educational content that engages and gets people initially hooked on those things too. So like those are just some of the things on the French language that we need to look at. There's uh you know there's there's obviously a lot to unfold over here, but just to just to 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 refer back to what you're saying about offering free French classes for especially the English speaking Quebecers, that was actually a proposition made by Greg Kelly, who uh, who's elected off in the in the West uh, in the West Island. Mm-hmm. Um, he, there was a proposition made for an amendment to the to Bill 96, which was refused by the CAC, by the way. So it, it was, it, yeah. It was an idea, and I know that uh, the English-speaking community wants that. It's not that they're against French. It's just that they don't have the tools to learn it. And if they offered something where they could just have access to that education, yeah, definitely do it. And um, so the CAC refused. But he- here's, here's how I've always felt about the language. I- I'm actually... Uh, I'm actually quite supportive of the French language laws. And I know that that comes as a shocker to a lot of the English speaking people when I say that. Um, One, because I'm a product of Bill 101. uh, And because of that, I learned French and I'm happy about that. And I'm proud about And I'm proud of that uh, particularly. Here's the reality. And here's the paradox uh, in Quebec. We live in a province where if you look at the numbers and the numbers do matter here, French is spoken less than 2% in North America, and that less than 2, 2% is in part due to Quebec, okay? So, yes, there's this um, uh, there's this weakness we have as a province in, uh, as, a, as a Francophone prav- a province in an English-speaking uh, continent to actually survive and to make this language survive as well, right? So, if you have that, but the, pro- the other problem is that while you're facing that challenge uh, on protecting the French language mm. in this English-speaking North American continent, you have the English-speaking community that feels they're a minority mm-hmm. in, in a context where they're not. You understand? And this is a part. This is this is the strange thing about the reality in Quebec. Because if you look at the English-speaking uh, communities in Quebec, they're a founding member of Canada. Okay, I mean, I mean, we're, I don't want to get into this whole thing about the Aboriginals because they, yeah. they, they got the short end of the stick. But yeah, they the English-speaking communities in Quebec have been completely undermined. They've been completely neglected in this whole process historically. And this is the this is you know the, this comes back to what we're saying about you know the Federalist and uh, and separatist English versus French. It's always been part of our reality here in Quebec. But when you look at the arguments coming from the other side, they're right in the sense that. English isn't at risk of disappearing. You're in a context in North America where English is going nowhere. Like you're not going to lose English. However, French, there is a real risk of losing French. And I uh, and I, I I would be entirely I would be completely sad to 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 live in a in a situation where 
French is gone, right? And I think that a lot of people listening to this would probably agree with me. Um, it's an advantage, I feel, the fact that we were able to learn this language. Um, we're, we're obviously a minority within North America. And I do believe that there has to be legislation protecting the French language. I have nothing against that. The problem I have is exactly what I said before. While you're thinking about protecting the French language and promoting the French language, which should be done 100%, I'm, a, I'm 100% in favor of that, you cannot neglect the English-speaking population because, in fact, this is the reality we live in. And as a, as, as a paradox as it may be, which is the example I just, uh, I just gave, which you know, there's really no danger for them to lose that culture, mm -hmm. the reality, however, in Quebec society is that the English-speaking communities are disadvantaged because you cannot find someone in the West Island of Montreal and put them to work in downtown Montreal where all the offices are, for example. They're disadvantaged. They can't be in that country. Look at you, look at you, Nick. You got a job and you're thinking, shit, I need to go learn French. I want to get promoted. I want to advance my career. I'm in a field where a lot of things are happening in French, and I feel like I'm I'm boxed into a corner. And there's a lot of people like yourself yeah. in the world yeah. in Quebec. A lot of them actually don't want to work uh in these jobs. So they're actually staying locally in their communities. They're they're looking at smaller jobs. Obviously that limits their potential to grow or you, you know yeah. so we have a big issue in, in, in Quebec. And uh Bill 96 is a is is a horrible piece of legislation. Yeah. The, yeah. the fact that you have a government that came in and put a cap on the the enrollment of English speaking CGIPs is the biggest form of discrimination that I could ever think of in recent times. Yeah. How yeah. are you doing that? And it's you're not what people need to understand is that by doing so, you're not only uh, affecting the English speaking population, you're directly affecting the French speaking population that wants right. to perfect their English to advance in an international setting, for example, or maybe across yeah. or whatever. So, yeah there's a lot of moving parts in this whole language debate. And, um, you know, I've had Christopher Skeet on my podcast. And for those who don't know, Christopher Skeet is, is elected in the CAC, uh, in the CAC government. He is the, the parliamentary secretary to the premier uh, responsible for the relations with the English speaking Quebecers. So he got the fucking worst file that he could possibly yeah. have in his first mandate. Yeah. Yeah. He's the bridge. He's the bridge between the government and the English speaking Quebecers. And he has to, juggle this fucking bill that he probably disagrees with i don't know i mean publicly he's not going to but maybe down as an anglophone himself he's like what the fuck is this so uh and, and i and i and i asked him the question i said listen what if we imposed bilingualism in all our uh in all our schools okay thank you Thank you. I, I went. I went to a French school because I'm a product of Bill 101. But the school that I went to, we learned French, uh, we learned English and Greek as well. So my daily existence in elementary school was uh, one where we were in front of a French teacher, of an English teacher, and a Greek teacher every mm -hmm. single day, five days a week, uh, every week for six years. Okay, uh, from grade yeah. one to grade six. Um. Maybe well, that maybe that makes us advantage because we 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 were we were way ahead in English than the other kids when we went to the high school, for example. So that was yeah. my reality. Of course, French was the priority, right? It's a it was it's a French school, um, so it was like eighty percent French, I think, and ten percent English, and whatever five percent 
Greek, I think, wherever or whatever the math is, 15 English and 10 Greek or something like that. Um, and the and, and the answer he gave me was, George, look, if we promote bilingualism, automatically French will lose because people are going to naturally lean towards English because English is in your face so much more than French. It's a good argument. I'll give it to him. However, does it hurt to boost English in French schools or French in English schools? I don't think so. I don't think so. And the best argument in this is actually uh, André Fortin that I mentioned before, who gets elected in, in, in Pontiac. Uh, this is in the Utaway. His writing is uh, bilingual. He has a lot of people actually working in Ottawa that commute. They live in Quebec. So it's right next to Gatineau for people that want to locate it, right? And he says that, look, we have schools in my writing. He was on Car Ride Conversations for people that want to go watch that episode. Mm -hmm. And he said, look, we have schools that are uh, <laughs> that are um, uh, uh, francophone schools that are missing students. And huh. he approached the government and said, listen, why don't we open up these schools to other kids as well? Even the kids that are coming from the English system, we have the room. Mm -hmm. in this school put them here rather than uh than overpopulating other schools in other regions and the answer he got is well, we cannot mix the french school kids with the english school kids oh, there you go that's ridiculous absolutely no sense at all the fact that someone is going to learn english like a francophone in quebec that is going to learn to speak perfect english does not necessarily mean that they will forget French. It's wrong. It's wrong to even think that. It doesn't work. And there's so many examples of people that you probably know or that you've heard of that are perfectly bilingual. And the fact that they practice their job or that you, you uh -huh. know their career uh, is much more English-leaning, for example, does not mean that they lose their French Absolutely. or any part of the French culture. Absolutely it's wrong. It's wrong. Yeah. The perfect example is Mike Ward. I mean, you know, we, we yeah, have yeah, quite a bit. He's perfectly bilingual. And, you, yeah. and I'm sure you guys know a lot of these uh, uh, Quebecers that have been raised speaking French and English. And it's not because you learn English and you've perfected that language that automatically you're going to be like, ah, fuck French. It doesn't work like that. Well, it's, a, it's the same argument that the, the yeah. you know, the francophones that are saying, why are you taking away our rights to actually go to CJEP or yeah. put a cap on it in English? He says, rendu à, au CJEP, we're not going to forget a French. Exactly. I mean, come yeah. on. Exactly. Listen, yeah. A great example is, and I was just, my 13-year-old son went to elementary and is now in the second year of high school, and we're completely bilingual. Fifty, I mean, part of the English Montreal School Board, but it was a fifty-fifty. Do you do you do you fall under the grandfather clause? Can you send your kids? Uh, yes, I can. English? Okay. okay. Yes, I did can. You, did, did they go to English or French? I, they went to English school. Okay, but I purpose we purposely chose schools that are fifty-fifty English okay. and French. So my son is thirteen years old now. He speaks better French than me, and at this point, like I mean. I look at the advantage that he has over anybody. He went to uh, so so in 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 elementary was different. It was one day in English, one day in French, one day in English, one day in French. In um in high school, it's it's he he goes to Vincent Massey. There's one course in French, a certain courses in French, certain courses in English. And I look at him now, and the kid is set for life. The kid yep. is set for life. 
I why is this so difficult to understand and to and to say if it's working clearly on the English Montreal School Board and and this this from ch- from from childhood from from babies that they they're sponges why how is it going to put the French language did, For, did it put it in peril here look my my kid is bilingual perfectly bilingual if I could just say one point the reason why I say we need to be flexible and we need to be understandable and i'm going to be very vulnerable right now first i fall i i kind of fall into the grandfather clause as well because my dad had that special paper like he started off in english school before the yeah. implementation of law 101 so i have to thank my dad for allowing me the opportunity to study in english so like when i was doing elementary and high school it was completely in english aside from the french class <clears throat> but again the sort of immigrant reality that we face because again i'm i'm greek you're italian luigi the immigrant reality that a lot of us face and i'm going to be the most vulnerable here like i had difficulties even learning english when i was three to five years old like real difficulties like i had to go get speech therapy recommended by my my then doctor at the time it, it, it got that bad where mm-hmm. I needed to be able to communicate in at least one language. And obviously, logically, my parents made the decision that English had to be the first language because English is the international business language. So for folks, for some folks like me, like I started all like my like, for example, my brain, you talk politics, you talk policy. I can process that because my brain is wired that way. While yeah. for languages like my dad. If you, if ever George, you would meet my dad, like you would see it. Like my dad is able to at least communicate at least here and there in multiple languages, at least to a basic conversation. My mom and myself are the way that our minds are, the way that our brains are wired. I just, it's, it's far more difficult. So I have a bit of a, I, I'm operating at a bit of a disadvantage. So that's why we need patience. We need all of the programs. We need all the assistance. Like if I had the chance to finally work in in human resources at my company though beforehand i need to study french like please oqlf do the changes make it so that i could actually study i could take the courses on a part-time basis you give me the accommodation and you give me a little financial support because i would be doing this at a financial disadvantage. Yeah, like the, I would have to, yeah the, the OQLF has nothing to do with it. They're just there to enforce whatever yeah, policy know, the government like, Whatever department, yeah. whatever. I just mentioned the OQLF because they're the it's, most well-known. Yeah. No, it's, it's such an emotional thing when it comes down to language because if you look at Quebec's entire political existence, like the first ever debate in the parliament was what language... Are the proceedings going to be t- uh, going to yeah. be done in right? It, it, it's t- like from day one. From day one, it's been a battle between French and English, um, and and that's never going to go anywhere. Uh, and it's unfortunate, right? Uh, it really is unfortunate. Um, I, I don't know. I I I don't see ever a government evolving to the point where they're going to enforce, for example, a bilingual status. That will never happen. And don't forget the other thing. We're talking as three individuals with the mentality of Montrealers. Yes. Yeah. This is uh, this is a reality that we know in an existence that we live in that is completely foreign in the regions of Quebec. So you have one or two metropolitan areas. Let's say we take 
you know, Montreal, Laval, uh, you know, Longueuil, Sherbrooke, yeah, Gatineau, you know. Quebec, uh, yeah. The rest of Quebec is completely clueless to the existence that we live in. It, it's not Sorry, part of the reality. It's not part of the reality. You understand? You have to factor that that in. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know, honestly, when it comes to the French language, even when it comes down to policy, who are you pleasing and how will you please them? Mm-hmm. True. How, just, how, how are you going to legislate, for example, on bilingualism and tell the regions that this is the new reality yeah. that they don't understand anything of? You understand? And again, I don't want to generalize. Yeah. I don't want to generalize. I'm sure. I'm sure there's people in the regions that maybe are bilingual or they understand English, but it's, 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 a, it's a small percentage, right? And I can give you an example of things that I've seen, where you know we, we had brought a, a group of Sikhs from Montreal to the oh, national. Oh, I remember this story. <laughs> oh boy, yeah, that was wanted, a show and a half. They wanted for the for the people that don't know the story, they wanted to build bridges with Quebec society. Uh, and they said, look, it's gonna be a great uh event where we can be there. It's they had this whole religious ceremony planned, and we had planned everything out in Quebec in the parliament, and we had arranged for all these MAs to go and meet them. And the idea was to help them build bridges with these communities out in the regions, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, okay. There's two buses filled with Sikhs, Indian Sikhs that come up to Quebec City. Guys, all hell broke loose. The security guards had no fucking clue what was going on. They were like the red flags were up. They were like, who the fuck are who are these people? What's going on? They were checking them. It's like they don't know. They didn't know who these people were, where they're from, what they represent. They thought they were in danger. It was the first time in my face that I witnessed something like this. Because look, I was brought up in Park X. We, you know, we grew up yeah. from all yeah. backgrounds. I never experienced something like this before, where literally a Quebecer would be—I I don't want to say threatened, but completely mesmerized by oh, who are these people? What? These are Sikhs. You never, you didn't tell us. I'm like, what do you want me to, 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 to define what being Sikh is? You know, <laughs> I don't know. How am I supposed to know that you don't know what? A Sikh is. They freaked out. So this is a reality. This is a reality in Quebec. Quebec is a huge province. Um, and uh, don't forget that whatever we live is a reality. And the context in which we live in Montreal is not the same in the regions. It's very, very different. So I, I don't see that issue in this political context ever disappearing. It's always been central, you know, and um, just to go back on this election, obviously it's central, right? Bill 96. It's, I mean, the, the entire yeah. campaign has been done on this, even though I, I, I thought there would, there, there would be a bigger focus on it. Instead, we're focusing a lot more on the le, le troisième lien, the third link between yeah. Quebec and Lévis. That seems to have taken a central role in this campaign. Yeah. You know, what's the best solution? And, and that was a weird turn of events for me in this campaign. I thought that yeah. we're focusing on a tunnel. That, that, that the, mm. ca the campaign is happening on a tunnel. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It, 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 we don't hear anything about education. We're hearing very little about health. Mental health, yeah. like Nick said, has been yeah. primary. Like it's been the central 
uh, thing that everyone has witnessed the last two and a half years. We don't hear anything about that. Uh, we're here in Quebec, so they're coming out and saying we're going to give you everything for you. are going to hip and skip uh, all the way uh, from one corner to the other in Quebec because we're going to open highways and trains and buses and everything. We're going to take care of your teeth. They're going to be free. Education is free. Everything is free. But nobody has real solutions to the issues that have affected us so much in the last two and a half years, including the Liberal Party. I'm, I'm, I'm putting everyone in the same boat over here. The media is focusing so much on useless things. Useless so nothing's things. changed. So nothing's changed. It's it's incredible. It really is. Nothing has changed in terms of actually talking about, like you said, what's really affected us in the last two years. Yeah. And just to add, my and, and you know what? Sorry, sorry to interrupt yeah. you. I don't blame Legault when he came out and said, you know, it's not the people in Montreal are going to dictate what's yeah, best for Quebec and Levy. He's absolutely right. What the hell do I care how about people from Levy go to Quebec and vice versa? I don't, yeah, I don't care. Build a bridge, build a highway, build a, I don't know, get, get ferry boats. I don't care. I don't live there. I, it's not my, it's not my existence. He's absolutely right. He's absolutely it's, right. It's too, it's too, it's too large geographically to, to actually, for us to all understand and, and, each other's plights in terms of what's happening in Montreal, Quebec City, and Gatineau, or whatever the region may be. But Nick, just to go back to what you were saying before, mm. uh, first of all, I, want, I appreciate you being so candid and being open. And, and you know, I yeah. struggled. I struggled with with that because I thought, uh, you know, going to English school and it isn't what it is today. Our French. What, what did you want us to do with two hours of French? And we spoke English a week per week, and we spoke English anyway. So, how much did you want us to learn? You know, now it's it's properly done. But I th just think that the same way that the government is is concentrating and putting efforts on immigrants coming here and making sure that they're speaking French, you should also think about the Anglophones that are here that France. want to learn, that want to learn, that want to improve and want to stay. They've made a decision such as us, all of us here on yeah. this podcast. I made a decision. I'm here. I'm raising my children here. Help us out. I'm lucky. I mean, I'm, I'm my French is pretty good when it comes to work wise. I, it's gotten better with 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 over the years just because I've had to work in French and it's just gotten better. And, you know, like Pantelis, I actually did my first um, completely in French podcast a, a few few months ago. So, yes, thank you. I, I mean, I, I, I yes, I was proud of myself when I did it. So so I think it's just concentrate on the people that have been here that that have chosen to stay here despite everything, despite 96 and, and all the stupid bills and all the division that they cause between us when they're really in reality, there isn't because we're all human and I do it. And, and I know because I have these conversations every day, all my clientele, 95, 90, 90, 95% are French Quebecers. And we all want the same thing. Just concentrate on the people that are here that I made it conscious decision to stay here and to raise their family here. That's all I'm saying. Having, having said that, Luigi, you know what else is fascinating this election this time around for the first time ever, I feel that there isn't, one particular party that represents the voice of the Anglophone community. The Liberal yeah. Party messed up royally. Yeah. This yeah. mandate was a big fuck up to the Liberal Party. They could have taken yeah. a much more important stance on protecting the English community and actually consulting them and hearing what they had to, to say. And they completely botched that whole thing. No. Guys, for, and for people that don't know what we're referring to, in the committee work that we're reading article by article, because the, you know the way the bills are passed in Quebec yeah. City, uh, it's it's tabled in the House and then it goes to committee. They study the bill article by article. They vote on it. If they if they if they don't vote, they have to go back and change it. And it's it's a very lengthy process. Yeah. If there's any amendments to be done, that's where it's done. At the end, once they finish reading the article, they're you know most of the time, ninety percent of the time, the bills 
you know, kind of pass. There, there's good collaboration that happens in the in, in committee, unless it's a very controversial bill, uh, which in this case it was not only for Bill 92, but for Bill um, uh, not, not, not only 96, but 41 as well. Mm-hmm. So, between 21, 21, the, 21, the secularism bill. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, in this process where they're, uh, where, where they're reading article by article, the Bill 96, the Liberal Party comes up and they propose an amendment to one of the articles. And that, guys, I've asked so many liberal MNAs, what the fuck did you do? What happened? And nobody knows what happened. These are things that kind of happened on the fly. They thought they were acting in the better interest of the Anglophones in Quebec, and they fucking messed it up. The, basically, they proposed an amendment to one specific article um, to uh, to impose in the CGIPS, to impose three uh, courses in French. Imagine that someone like Nick, yeah. for example, who has who who had very little um, uh, yeah. exposure to French. You make it to I don't know Dawson or wherever you went for college, uh, Daniel. 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 and you're supposed to take three courses, whatever program you're in. Imagine that you're in pure and applied sciences or whatever it is. You yeah. know what I mean? Like we're so technical, and, and the proposition the, the the proposition for the amendment that the Liberal Party made was for students to complete three courses in French in order to be able to graduate. And all hell breaks loose. Guys, yeah. I don't know how the fuck this decision was made. I had calls. I have, you know, a very good friend that works at the English Montreal School Board that calls me. He's like, George, what the fuck just happened? I go, dude, I don't know. He goes, aren't you watching the committee? I'm like, no, bro, I have a fucking life. You know what I mean? <laughs> what is this amendment? Are you guys crazy? Are you out of your minds? Obviously, it was accepted. Everyone voted in favor. What, you think the CAC is not going to vote in favor? The PQ was thrilled. Well, what? The liberals are proposing this. So everyone voted in favor. The liberals go back into caucus and they realize the fuck up that they just did. And they yeah. came back requesting an amendment, exactly. their amendment. <laughs> I've never seen this before. Yeah. I'm proposing an amendment. Oh Everyone votes in favor. And then I come back and I want an amendment to my amendment. Do you understand how embarrassing this is? And then you're coming out in the election. You're saying, we got your backs. We got your backs, English community. We got you. Don't worry. We're here for you. So how do you want the English community to support? So that And, and this goes, it explains perfectly the reason why the liberals have fallen into what? 35, 40% support in the region of Montreal, where in the past they were in the 70s. Yeah. They were unstoppable on the island of Montreal. It was their fucking liberal yeah. fortress. It was theirs. It's a direct result it's of gone. that. It's Absolutely. gone. It's gone. It's gone. So this, yeah. this is something else that I find interesting. And they're... You know, all the parties are kind of fighting to get the English community support. Um, you have GM really pushing. You have uh, Legault trying to defend himself, saying that Bill 96 is actually good for the English-speaking community. They're, you know, it's going to help them learn French, blah, blah, blah. So we know the arguments on that side. But for the first time ever, guys, the English community, I feel like they're orphans. They have no one to look yeah. up to. They can't rely on the new political parties, you know, Balarama Holness and uh, what's his name? He's Tan- your best friend. He's your best friend, Balarama. <laughs> I, know that. I, have I have nothing against Balarama, guys. The fucking Pantelis has painted this negative picture. But, um, you know, these these are one-issue parties. They're not like the English community. I don't think that they're going to throw their support behind these parties. And I feel like for the first time ever, the English community is like, what do we do? Like, who do we vote for? Like, yeah. who, who, who's got our backs? Because the last time the Liberal Party said they did have our backs... They acted without even consulting us on something that clearly is counterproductive uh, 
to to our community. So I don't know what's going to happen with the English speaking community in these elections. Neither do I. Um, neither well, do I. And, and, uh, yeah. Colin Standish's uh, yeah. party too. The Quebec Party of Canada or something like that. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Tony says we need to bring back the Alliance Quebec. <laughs> or no, 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 no. I just remembered this. Well, I think it was the Equality Party the under Robert yeah. Equality Party in the 90s. Yeah. There, yeah. Was, there, was, a, there, there was a bunch of cabinet ministers and the liberal in Burasa's government that left. They were huge. And they actually won. But it went nowhere. It went nowhere. And uh, it's no surprise. I mean, this is the thing in Quebec. It's, 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 it's so particular because you cannot run a party on a one-issue thing. Like, you can't be a one-issue party. You can't. Yeah. Balarama wholeness is not going anywhere. Candice is not going anywhere. You cannot run a provincial party with a priority being Montreal in the English-speaking community. You can't do it. You can't. No, you can't. I worst uh, a best case will win one one seat. Not even. Not even. Not even. Not even. But, not but, even but, because but case, because if you Valorama isn't even running candidates in every single riding in Montreal. They have about 15 candidates. But the thing is that you're not going anywhere. The reason is this, and I can put money on this. Find me any English-speaking Quebecer that, 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 you know, that is affected dearly by this language debate. Okay, I can assure you that above that, there's priorities on health, there's priorities on education, there's priorities on so other, so many other things that these little parties won't, won't have a clue what to do on. Yeah. Like if you look at Balarama Holis and the other guys, they don't even have a policy on it. They have no position on these on these bigger issues. So yeah, you're not going it, anywhere. You're not yeah, because it's not, it's not always just about language, as we've not. seen the last two, three no. years, and with inflation out of out of control right now, and so many issues from top to bottom. Listen, guys, I, I, I hope that everybody listening and watching this, um, we've given you some food for thought and, yeah. and we've we've made you think about and maybe educated you a little bit more in terms of what's going on. But I think the most important thing here is I know I it, it's not it's not a huge guys in any democracy. You're only worth your vote. This is all your all you have is your vote. Your yeah. your, your your voice is your vote. So let's get out there and vote. That's all I could say. So I hope yep. that we've helped you guys. I hope yep. that uh, that I know that I I have. I think that we've you guys have been unbelievable, Nick and then George, with your experience and with your with your honesty. And um, yeah, I hope we'll see we'll see what 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 this brings uh, in less than a couple of weeks, and we'll see where the future Quebec lies. Look, you're you're, um, absolutely, you're absolutely right, and I know that I, I've been judgmental on these new parties, right? I mean. Um, you know, Balarama Holness and all these guys, and even, even the conservative party. Yeah. Here's, here's, here's the one thing that I'm actually happy about. I, I, I could never come out and discourage anyone from starting a new party mm-hmm. or even bringing up a non party. The fact that you're going to have more voices potentially sitting in the National Assembly for me is a good thing. For me, mm-hmm. it's a very good thing, even if it means that my party is going to the fucking shitter. The fact that there's an additional voices, it's going to bring forth this new debate. It's going to make things move. The plaques are changing. Uh, and how long it's going to last, nobody can predict that. I don't know. Maybe GM is going to get five uh, uh, MAs this time around and none in the next election. Who knows what's going, how these, how these things um, will evolve. The fact is that it's going to be very interesting. Like, think about it. We, in, in the last 15 to 20 years here in Quebec, we've gone from debates from party A and party B to having multiple parties in the house. I think it's good. I think it's healthy. That's it's true. a healthy sign for the democracy. And like you said, Luigi, 
it only matters if you vote. And the, the, mm-hmm. the sad thing for me is that it's, you know, obviously the party's shifting in popularity. It affects me particularly because I'm very active uh, with, with my particular party. But more than anything, what fucks me up mostly is seeing people just disconnect from, from, yeah. from this whole thing. And it sucks because these are things that, that are that have a huge impact in your life or your kids' lives or your grandkids' lives or whatever whatever your situation yeah. is. How can you sit back and just be neglectful and ignorant about these things happening? And we're we're at a we're at an incredible time in Quebec's political history. Now like honestly guys we're at a yeah. crossroads right now and we yeah. don't know how things are going to evolve. But it requires everyone's attention. I don't understand. It's something that I don't understand and maybe it's just us because we're into these things and we follow it and we don't, we can't understand how people don't, but yeah, but I you know what, George, God, I think it doesn't keep dropping like it is. If anything, the last two years, what it's, it's proven. It's proven that the government that controls you has an impact directly on your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so guys, if that's anything, sure. If you're not happy the way you've, you, whatever's happened to you in the last two years, whatever you've suffered, whatever you've been through and right there, it's you can't say, oh, I'm not going to vote because it doesn't make a difference. No, the last two years have proved otherwise. It does make yeah. a difference who's in power yeah. and who's making the yeah. decisions. It does. Yeah. And it's going to be even more so moving forward. So yeah. on that note, guys, I'm going to thank you. You guys know I I, I love and appreciate you both. Uh, I really yeah. appreciate this. Um, I hope uh, everyone, like I said, uh, took something out of tonight's show. I know I did. And um, so... Nicholas, tell us, um, are you you're still you know you're on social media, right? Well, um, I'm I'm no longer because again, new position, new yeah. uh, responsibilities. I don't have as much time, but you can follow me on Captain Yolo five six two on Instagram. And if I could just say one final thing, sure. and yes, I'm borrowing from the United States. There shall be no taxation without representation. Get out and vote. I love it. I love it. it. And it, your your handle's going to be on the show notes as well. George, Appreciate you, it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know when you sleep between your 17,000 <laughs> podcasts. I don't have that many. I don't have that many. Uh, <laughs> backstage podcast. It's back. It's election. So I started again. The yeah. car rides. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, I started a new segment twice a week. Uh, QC Brief with my friend uh, Michael Foray. Yeah, uh, there's, yeah. A, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of value there as well. That's obviously going to end at the end of the campaign. And then there's just us dads, which I'm waiting to start again. I don't know. Uh, we took a break in the summer and I lost the guys. I don't know where the fuck. They are. <laughs> so hopefully they'll be back and we'll start that up again. Uh, and yeah, yeah, just recently I started producing another podcast uh, for this um, uh, this international uh, uh, think tank. Uh, they're based in us. Yeah, they're based yeah. out of Cyprus and Dubai, and it's 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 a huge thing for them. And uh, they 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 start a little podcast, and uh, it's just awesome. another thing that I'm doing for them, and uh, getting to interview more interesting people. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. It. I love it. I'm going to put all that in the show notes. Uh, like I said, I guys follow these guys. Super intelligent. I yep. love you guys. Thank you so much for always being there for me, especially all political stuff. I pr- truly appreciate it. Guys, stick Indeed. around. We'll talk uh, in the back uh, in the back uh, office. In the green room. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. in. Have backstage in the backstage. Yes, yes, (laughs) guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate everybody, and I will see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Have a great evening. Live long and prosper, folks. Thanks for listening to the Agree to Disagree show. Make sure you like, subscribe, and tell all your friends about it. Until next time. Who is that? Who who does that voice?